Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks My name is Carl Hartley I'm Max Peterson and today, we are, this is week three of uh, Carl's Flick Picks. It's my birthday, Moon. It sure is. When is your birthday, by the way? July 18th. Oh, wait. We're not even close to July. <laughs> not even close. We're I was the like, end of May. we got to be getting pretty close to your birthday, aren't we, Carl? No, not really. Like, like 54 days ahead. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, like, we're recording way in advance. And you know what? I feel good about I'm it. I'm feeling pretty decent. Today, we are talking about 1988's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, directed by Terry Gilliam and starring like a billion people whose names I didn't know but whose faces like, are dear to my heart. So many faces. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's that guy. What's it? What's what's what, he, he from a thing? I'm yeah, like, and yeah. There was and again and again we were doing that thing where I'm like, is that Jeffrey Rush? You're like, it it looks like Jeffrey Rush, it's, but it's not Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey Rush ish. And I'm like, I'm like, right, Jeffrey okay, Rush. okay. Oh look, it's. Is that Ben Kingsley? And you're like, no, it's not Ben Kingsley, but it <laughs> looks very, a is a titch like... Kingsley-ish. And I'm like, ah, okay. Oh, look, not Shelley Duvall is back. <laughs> not Shelley Duvall again. <laughs> and she looks so much, almost not exactly quite like but Shelley Duvall. so fucking close. But she's nearly Shelley Duvall. Yep. <laughs> we gotta watch a Shelley Duvall we movie should. eventually. Uh, Popeye. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll be Robin Williams again, who plays the King of the Moon in this movie. Yeah, I was delighted to see him yeah. pop up. And I was... Like this, early... Well, 88. So it was like relatively early-er Robin Williams. Right. This feels to me like his... Do you... Do you ever listen to his stand-up around Mork and Mindy? No, I haven't. So when he... It was really cool. When he does... I have a... I, I'll get you a CD of it, but there's a... Around, like, the time Mork and Mindy was going on, he was doing stand-up sets. And his whole thing was, when I do my stand-up, I'm gonna do everything but Nanu Nanu. I'm not right. fucking around. Like, Mork and Mindy is its own thing, and that's great. But my stand-up is Robin Williams' stand-up. Right. This is my place to do other stuff. And on the... Uh, on the recording of uh, it's called reality what a concept is the name of the comedy album and when he gets on stage there's like several times during the show you can hear somebody saying like nanu nanu we're like come on mark and mindy and at one point he even addresses it he's like no no that's what i do over on my television show but when i'm up here on stage i'm doing my other thing man i do it all the time you know and he like he addresses it and keeps the flow going but this this feels of an of that era yeah. to me that like like oh i'm a crazy i'm i'm robin the, williams i'm up in the universe yes, this yeah. is like before he's like you know all suicides go to hell right. or whatever yeah. you know no this is the goofy like do many voices right over the top robin williams well and it's he plays the fruit bat in um fern gully he voices the the bat very cool and when he gets like shocked or he i think he hits a tree or something and he goes i'm blind he says that exact line here oh, and he... almost the same way <laughs> oh that's that's the only reason i remembered he was the fruit batters i'm like oh he says oh, that in he fern says, gully I'm blind. when he gets hit with the fruit yes. i'm blind that's it's right. amazing it's so funny um so what the heck this movie it's the third in the trilogy of the imagination yes which we talked about because we did brazil which is the middle film the middle of and this and is time the, bandits is the first one this is the last the one, last one right okay yeah which is dealing with like time bandits is well there's a child in this one too but Polly. time bandits is primarily no sally sally played yeah. by sarah Polly. so yes <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of this is sort of she is our um 
she is uh, the character that we sort of go on the adventure with like our POV character. Like our POV character in a way but like if you're looking out of the corner of your eye in a way like that's how it doesn't I don't feel like we are along her well we she clearly is like our our touchstone our our right 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 she's our our, our eye in but it's such a crazy movie that that is almost that doesn't even work as far as an explanation of no Munch- I think Baron Munchausen himself is the protagonist oh yes but I like sure. her as the POV character mm-hmm. she's the audience proxy right we're because we can't we don't hold on to his world at all we have no at we have all. no touchstones he barely holds on to his world but. right but I think that's part of the charm mm-hmm. uh, can I read a couple names that no, no go one's ahead. gonna know yeah 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 Baron Munchausen's played by John Neville uh, Eric Idle plays Bertold. Yes. Uh, all there's Oliver Reed, Robin Williams, Sting makes a hilarious brief appearance, and Uma Thurman. Yes. And I wrote down, um, come for the fantasy and social commentary. Stay for Uma Thurman. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> oh God. Um, I, I feel in a weird way. I've now I've never seen Time Bandits. Mm-hmm. But I feel, based on what you just said, how there's there's a child in this one, and it's a child that we follow, even though we're really it it really is truly the story of Baron Munchausen mm-hmm. and of that, like you said in the last episode, um, being unhappy where you are in old age and trying and reclaiming your life, right. basically. Because um, he's li- like that's literally what he's doing is going and finding his old friends, his servants, as he calls them, right. And his servants have all also aged and not happy with where they are, except for. The the guy with the, the big he, the big guy no well the big guy's happy yeah he's he's, he's like redefined they call, himself yeah he's redefining he's like I want to be delicate delicate but yeah it's about and but even in in that discovery of finding yourself it's like there's still the reality is that everything has moved on right even those servants and friends that used to have all these abilities which they end up at the end of the film like sort of having a I can still run fast. I can oh still shoot God. straight. I can still, I can still ride my horse. I can still do all of the things I used to do. I might not be as quick, and I might not be as ready to do it. I like, but I still have the ability I to, to do so. Forced myself not to cry yeah. several times yeah. during this movie, and I wrote down something about old men making one last glorious go of it. Mm-hmm. Always gets me. I'm particularly thinking of like. Uh, Hardigan and Sin City. Yeah, I, I, Bert and I were talking about this the other day because she pointed out that I often in my when I write, I often write like old characters, characters who are like not physically able to do all of the. I think probably reacting against like the the Marvel stuff, oh, not yeah. not like the the comic book thing where like everyone is perpetually like thirty one years old. Right, and they're all in peak <laughs> physical health. Exactly. You know? I've never liked that. So, but I, there's something about like old men who are like almost done like they're almost at the end but of their they story got like the one last fight they left do that one kind of i mean thing. that's why i love unforgiven we talked about right, unforgiven yeah. earlier this year and that just fucking got me yeah. speaking of i just occurred to me as we were as you were talking but um like being unhappy and like reclaiming your life or reclaiming your story it occurs to me that baron munchausen literally reclaims his story when we are first introduced to him mm-hmm. he's watching a falsified but a fictionalized, fictionalized version of version life. of the play yeah. yeah there's like a and we sail <laughs> across the windy over dramatized and sort of poking fun and in I, a way yeah. i love that he like kicks the door and because what we watch is t- t- terry gilliam shows us is him you know like 
going on one last adventure and reclaiming that thing that he's lost. But it starts with him just taking control of his story again. He mm-hmm. kicks down the door and he's basically like... This play is horseshit. <laughs> yeah. And he gets up on stage and then he's like, all right, everyone, settle down, settle down. And then he starts telling his own story. I love the agency that he reclaims mm-hmm. right there. Yes. Like and it's right at the top of the right at the top of the show. I mean he's that's he, he reclaims. And, and the it, rest of it is just us following along and, and, and having a fun it's just a fun adventure. It really is. I love stories like this where you could break it down. It's like six individual vignettes, six individual little stories. One I, you know, I just love that. It's I really enjoyed the uh the uh, not it's not a the device, I guess, mm-hmm. of giving us you have to go and collect his friends. Right. So you have different fun adventures yes. to collect each friend. They're until, each a horcrux. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until <laughs> until Gilliam looks at the watch and he's like, all right, okay, this last one, he's going to get the last two he needs. Right. He, he's got the last two. <laughs> we gotta we, we've been, been here for two hours. We got yeah. that Vulcan section. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, the other thing that I like, and I, I swear to God, we'll get into like the 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 fantasy element yes. of this because my heart was just it grew nine sizes this awesome. day. I was floating off the couch, and awesome. I was like, ah! I always get worried because like I had such a grand time finding Jim Jarmish in your in last month. I, Terry and Gilliam like, is my terif- Jim Jarmish. Just like terrified that like God, I really fucking hope Max likes these. Like no, oh shit, oh, oh shit, oh God. shit. Yeah, okay, oh good. my God, I'm telling you, man. T- the way that you, I feel like the way that you. That Jim Jarmusch hit you where you're like, how I how can't believe I, I've yeah. gone this long without seeing his films. I'd never seen, I've seen Terry Gilliam's two like mainstream movies. But oh, like Fear dis- and Loathing and, and, um, and 12 Monkeys. And 12 but Monkeys, discovering right. this, mm-hmm. the, the fantasist. Oh my God. I'm, I am going to go on a Terry Gilliam like deep dive rabbit awesome. hole once this month is done. But what I wanted to say um, well, before we got into the, the fantastical elements. Yes, yes. And the filmmaking, because I mm-hmm. noticed, not in a bad way, but I, I, after being so like, Brazil just took me by such surprise where I'm like, a it's dr- jarring. Yeah. You're adrift in Brazil, <laughs> yeah. so you're not able necessarily to watch the filmmaking mm-hmm. of it. I kind of, I'm like having had that Brazil experience where I'm just like, what in the fuck am I watching? Yeah. Now that I watched, had seen that within Baron Munchausen, you're getting I was acclimated to, a little bit to a style, right, or like, right, 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 where I can now pay attention to the uh, some camera work and mm-hmm. pay attention to simple tricks that he's doing to to create effects mm-hmm. and i'm like oh okay okay so that's how he's doing it it's it's awesome it's like going and seeing a magician for the 200th time and finally catching a glimpse of like a card flying up the sleeve right. you know what i mean it's like you've been da- so dazzled that you're yeah. like what the fuck and then you're like i gotta go see the show again well the crazy thing about that is like if the magician is good enough right, right. and it's enjoyable enough even seeing that card doesn't seeing that it doesn't matter it almost makes the magician even that more impressive right knowing that that's what he that's what he's doing that's how he's doing it and the holy fuck you know the craziest how is that even possible the craziest <laughs> thing about gilliam as magician for me is you're like okay so he's probably got an elaborate contraption which reaches out and sucks the cards into a vortex onto his back and then right. hides it like a cr- under a crevasse in his pants but when you watch and you start to actually figure out what he's doing cinematically what right. what the camera moves are what the editing moves are it's literally as simple as him holding up a flower and being like and watch and then he takes the flower with his other hand <laughs> and holds, holds it behind his back, back and he goes and it's gone and you're like 
Oh, that is literally That's all he's doing. Literally how he's. He just does it so fucking smoothly that mm-hmm. you never stop looking at the wrong hand. Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. But what I wanted to say was, I love that in this movie about the you know like the reclaiming of agency and the mm-hmm. like. There's a great line when they're playing. Um, when they get to the the boat in the fish and they're playing cards and the one guy says, oh, yeah. like, we've been dead for a long time. You know, like, oh, those were the good old days when we were having adventures and we were alive. And then they all, like, become convinced that they're dead. And we can talk about that scene, like, in depth later. But mm-hmm. I think that the 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 living death, the, the, the way that the elderly are treated dismissively in the real world. Like when Baron Munchausen shows up, he's whipping a sword around. Yeah. He pulls a sword out and everyone's just like, oh, look at this mad old, old mad crazy. Man, yes. Oh, you're such an old, oh, you, you need to, who are you, sir? And even when he, we see a like a guy insult, not insult, we see a guy do basically nothing and get executed by the, right. the uh, public official. Of, I think that's know? just the the, the elected official like, in the, charge of the town. The or elected official, paperwork guy. He is you and paperwork. your paperwork. I know, movies, dude. Seriously. Here we go, another paperwork movie. But uh, when he calls him like a pompous ass, the guy's just like, oh, "That's so adorable." This old man is talking right. to me. Hey there, old fellow. Completely dismissing any sort of legitimacy at all. Yeah, like he's dismissed Worthless. the. It's the the way that old people are treated. By the like general populace mm-hmm. as a joke, you know, like we and it, uh, we find out later that it the story is we're being told a story. Mm-hmm. So, but even when the crowd is like booing, cheering, blah, blah, jeering at him, even though like the play they were watching was bullshit, it was garbage. Was garbage. Right. When he comes out and he's like, "Hello, I'm the real Baron Munchausen," they're like, "No, you're wrong. You're stupid. The war's not about that. You're old." Like, there's a there's a real mm-hmm. dismissive way that that old people are treated, and mm-hmm. I like, I like the way that by the end they've all, they've. When we come back to it, they're all enamored with him, and the like. Even the cast of the original show that he interrupts are on his side, completely yeah, completely engaged and. I'm I'm wondering I was I was halfway through the point and I think it fell apart for me because Sorry. I think Gilliam's saying something different. I was gonna say like they've come to respect and like revere the knowledge and wisdom of the elderly, but I don't think that's don't it think at that's all. It, yeah. I think what he's I think what it's actually actually is is in a world run down by like fact and science and logic and reason and bureaucracy and paperwork, he has managed to reimbue them with imagination yeah. and childishness and hopefulness. I think that's what it is because he even says in the beginning when he thinks he's dying and death is coming after him and he asks uh sally is like am i dead and she's like no he's like well shit i was hoping i would be he's like because he's sick of the he he doesn't there's no room for him anymore in the in the world as it exists now with logic and science and laws and paperwork yeah yeah it's like no one will believe uh um uh, any of the of the in the, of the three three eyed giants and all that kind of crazy shit. There's a no three legged cyclops. Three legged cyclops. That's what it was. God. But then yeah, at the end, it's like I think you're right. It is like that's why it's a trilogy of the imagination, right? In the end, the Baron Munchausen is giving everyone their imagination back, at least in some small way, or or the spark of it, right? At the very least. When the beginning of this movie is like no one has any. They're watching a horrible, a horrible movie, a horrible play about. <laughs> So they're trying for some escapism. I mean, the the city is is crumbling around them with cannon fire, mm-hmm. and they're watching a play. So right, but it's but it's different. It's not it's not the same. I think it doesn't work. 
I think it's because we, even as viewers, because yeah, they're going to see this play, this like a, a bit of escapist stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't work. It's not working. Right. And I think it's not working because we find out that the elected official is like the patron. He's keeping the theater open. Right. And he's getting uh, reports every act. Like, well, how did the first act go? Well, the first act had a little, a few technical hangups. I'm sure you're doing the best you can with a bad situation. It's not really escapism no. it's it's corporatized mm-hmm. it's been co-opted by the man if you want to get right, all right, right. About <laughs> sure it. sure but that's why it's not working it's it's like um it is no more escapist fiction than reefer madness was fair enough yeah. it's it's like oh here we are here's some philly philly follies yeah. for you to watch and ignore yeah. the cannon fire right you know, right like it there's no there's no danger to it there's no there's no truth in it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, even though Baron Munchausen comes out and tells basically the same stories, that's why when we watch his accounts, it's so vivid because there's danger. Yeah. There's a there's several times where you almost see a child die. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and that's fucking scary, dude. Like even the in child a child gets tossed into a whirlpool by when, a when Vulcan throws yeah. her in there, I was like, is he trying to stop her from going? And then I'm like, no, Vulcan no, just Vulcan whips just a kid into a, into a, into a fucking whirlpool. And in the beginning, Baron Munchausen picks up a sack and dumps the sack over the side oh and the little God, girl falls like, out. Yeah. And he looks over the side and it's like half a mile down. I'm like, oh my God, I thought she was going to be our POV character. And Baron <laughs> Munchausen just straight killed a kid. Wow. And then no, she's on the anchor and you're like, whoo. But that's, that's yeah. that thing. Where when we're watching the play, it's like, and we were sailing. God damn it! Where's the stagehand? Right. It's it's. Uh, Kevin Smith always says there's no truth in this art as a joke. Like mm-hmm. when something's just pure artifice, there has to be a little sliver. There has to be like some worrying grit to right. form the pearl around. And if you just have this like fluffy stage shit just with no heart behind it and that's the other thing too is the guy who's playing baron munchausen he always says um he's always talking about his public Mm -hmm. so he's he doesn't care about the story he's caring Caring about about himself yeah Yeah, he says my when when he (laughs) when he figures out that he might die because they're being attacked you know like he goes my public will kill me for dying at a time like this and this golden cusp between romeo and lear (laughs) yeah and it's like, no wonder people don't give a fuck about you, man. Because he just cares about him, himself and right. how he's perceived. You're not invested in this, yeah. but who's more invested in Baron Munchausen's story than Baron Munchausen? Well, right, exactly. And I, oh man, I, so much of this movie. Like I, the, I think it, the, it's a very important point that when he's dying, he's not, he doesn't want to die because he's, I'm old and tired. He's, no, he's he not like giving up. He wants to die because of how the way the world has changed. Mm-hmm. He was, he's tired of the world. He's not tired of living. He's tired of the world. Like, yeah. It's a difference. And again, uh, with the same thing with Brazil, this is crazy relevant to today. Insanely so. Oh, there was, so. Yeah. There are a couple of moments well, where... For me particularly, it's just that idea. Mm-hmm. The idea of... This is an age of logic and reason. I love that, by the way. Uh, the age of reason, Wednesday, cannon fire cannon and fire, death. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, that's totally... Because when you think of like the age of reason, you think of like golden spires and everyone's sitting around pontificating. Yes. But that's not at all how it fucking works. It becomes a bureaucratic, you know, churning nightmare of paperwork. And there are several times where like the idiocy of war is shown expressly 
the uh when when vulcan first thing i think is when vulcan is like his people all of his workers are revolting yes. and he's throwing burning rocks at him and they're hurling like shovels and spears and he's like two and a half percent is the best i can do and they're yeah. like 40 percent yeah. yeah. or whatever and he's like that's preposterous and you're like oh we're watching physical violence and we're arguing about percentages, percentages of, of what what something it's arguing about percentages mm-hmm. and when the sol- we see soldiers not fighting back because it's wednesday and we don't fight on wednesdays because well we'd have to file the we correct file form w1086 right. and the guy's like when he's like all right well you'll surrender on wednesday at f- and, the, and or, the end of yeah. the movie is like you'll you'll surrender next friday at 7 p.m and he's like you'll yes all the details are correct but you're going to surrender well no no we surrendered last time and it's like right what in the fuck are we even talking about and when God, when Baron Munchausen comes out and he says, I'm the cause of this war, and everyone's like, no, no, it's, no, a, no, no. it's yeah. a border <laughs> dispute about trade disagreements and tax levies, and that's what I, that was what I, what I glommed onto. I wrote down, where is my note? The human, if far-fetched, origins of war, which is, at the end of the day, mo- like, it's war and fighting and conflict is, when you think about it, you're like... Oh, I fucking hate that guy. Right. And then you punch him. It's never like that guy, you know, I feel like the way that he does his taxes are slightly different than mine. And I, I believe that he parked and it's there's they talk about it later with the atomic bomb. But like the way that the elected official is treating war and the way that he's selling the war to right. society, it's all a numbers game. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, they've infringed on our borders, so we have to slaughter them wholesale. And many of you will probably die as well. Right. But it's that's not it. That's not war. You know, like there's a that's balancing a ledger sheet. Right. I, I the the obvious the obfuscation and legalese the government fucks our heads up with which mm-hmm. is like well you know it, it's very complicated it's an international trade thing i'm like i don't you know th- why are you selling it that way to yeah. us because it's Just tell us tell us that it's you got all your treasure stolen by the strongest man in the world and that's why exactly the sultan's pissed like, like <laughs> it's there the human the the simplicity of the human element of of a conflict yes like if it's truly just like trade agreements and stuff why don't we just all pump the brakes on like firing bullets through soft human bodies and right. ending lives? Why don't we just get a bunch of lawyers together and hash this shit out? Something. Yeah. Well, it's if there's no human element, why are we why killing we, so yeah. many people? <laughs> if this is just a paperwork, even if it problem, was about, if, even if it was for something as uh, any human reason, like like World War Two made sense. Yeah. Because we're trying to stop mass genocide. Right. And like, well, that's. And that also, I, uh, I think technically that's America's last war. Yeah. Capital W. Everything else is conflict. Conflict. Because or, yeah. Congress hasn't declared war since then, I don't mm-hmm. believe. Nope. So we've, yeah, we've been in a conflict for like two decades now, which right. is kind of fucked up. Think about that. Yeah. Been out, I've, our country's been at war since I was 11. I know, <laughs> not not war. No, but in some sort of in some sort yeah. of like overseas. But this movie that came out in 1988 is addressing the same thing. We keep coming back to this on every episode because I think it's just because it's where we are right now I al- in 2018, and these movies that came out decades ago are coming back again because it's that same commentary. Do you wonder at all if it is the people who are? making the films especially in this time period mm-hmm. i feel like unfortunately like the mid to late 80s like yeah anywhere from like the the 70s to maybe like the 80s like cold war 90s, 90s filmmaking is different 
Yeah. But you no, know, yeah, absolutely. Cause the, that was the nineties. We were almost in, except for the Gulf war, like late nineties until anybody, 2001 were relatively peaceful. Anybody who lived through the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. like they, they have a specific, a, a specific lens they view war through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel, do you, do you ever wonder if it's because the people, the creative people, who are, are making these films who the, the filmmakers they would have lived through the 60s and 70s by the time they were making their film in the 80s right so right. they would have been children through that well but what i was thinking is do oh, you okay. think that the reason we see this recurrent narrative of like war is so stupid war is idiotic like why are you fucking it's because doing this? it is is be- well not only is because it <laughs> is but because the people who are the people who are fighting the wars aren't making movies they're too busy fighting wars right. the people who are like horrified by the the Maybe I'm generalizing here, but like the mm-hmm. the artists, the sensitive people, the fairly liberal utopian types, the people who want to dream and lay around and, you know, like read Ray Bradbury books right. and pick <laughs> apples from trees. Sounds amazing. And they see war and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. So when they make movies and put war in, we see it through their eyes. We see it through their lens. I literally like my tears. I I'd had tears in my eyes. When fucking um, Sally, when the the when bomb rains down yelling, and she, stop she it, yells stop it, stop it. Oh my god, what? I have the same note. It's like a, a young child yelling stop it because she can't hear the rest of her story and she sees how ridiculous it all is. It was like because she's a child. She's like, this is fucking stupid. Yeah, stop it. And it, oh my god, because and then she runs up to the ramparts and yelling stop it and, and she throwing throws stones. She throws like, a rock dude. at him. Like pay attention, stop it. Well, dude, it, it was like I was yeah. like, look, it's. All of us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally all of us in in Sally. Sally is all of the all. Now, now I want to say rational and r- reasoning, but this movie kind of. But it's it's the it's the the lovers or the dreamers mm-hmm. or the the people with who still have a heart. I know it sounds harsh because there's but a I lot. mean fuck it. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> fuck it. Like the people who have any empathy or care or who want to see a better world. Sally is us. Yeah, she's. We're standing on the ramparts, throwing says, stones, and she has it. an amazing point in her first line. She says, "Stop it, or we'll all emphasis all be killed." Mm-hmm. Which is like, if you keep going, and that, I think that's definitely commentary because we see the the atomic bomb yep. later in the movie. But yeah, that's definitely things. commentary yeah. on the, the 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 you know the the nuclear arms race of yep. the world, where we find out again and again from like news statistics and all of the awesome fear mongering <laughs> media sources that try and keep us fucking terrified. But like, there's enough nuclear weapons on the planet. There are enough nuclear weapons to destroy all life on Earth. Yeah, several, several times, times over. over. Yeah, that's the world we live in. And she's like. Sally says it right there. She's like, if you don't fucking knock this like weird shit, chest thumping bullshit off, we're all going to die. Everyone will be dead and I won't be able to hear the end of my, of my story. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, Sally. (laughs) And Sally, you know, I, I, I don't dislike Uh, kids in movies, but a lot of times they're the worst part. You're like, it's like, ugh. Sally is wonderful. Yeah, as, this, she does a great job. Yeah, she's she, not like, like that weird that child actor thing where it, yeah. it gets a little grating, and you're like, Ugh, they're like the child star, and they kind of know it. Like um, for me, it's when the the kids when the the ad the director just cannot get a natural reading out of a right, kid, yeah, where yeah, they're yeah. like, but I don't want to go to bed without my porridge. Right. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes child actors are fun. Oftentimes I'm like. You aren't. You just you're can't not, get a read. You're not right. good. 
You're yeah. a kid. You can't. You're not acting. You're just saying stuff. But she is. She's just good. wonderful and natural. To, and she's very much yeah. so. Yeah. And uh, and the Baron and her have such that unique like not even even a grandfather to granddaughter sort of relationship. It's more. I don't know. It's like she's guiding him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I love that when he's laying there dying mm-hmm. and he's like, you're like, I'm tired of all of these reasonable people who, you know, don't have any imagination left and the, the death of fantasy and the death mm-hmm. of wonder. And he's laying there and she goes, tell me what happens. And he goes, no, <laughs> awesome. just no, no. And she's like, tell me what happens. He's like, no, let me die or whatever. And she goes, tell me what happens. And his eyes he does, you know what he does? He does John Hurt eyes where they light yes. up and you just yes, want he, him to be. They your, twinkle. They, he twi- his eyes twinkle. They literally, he literally John Hurts it. Yep. And, and his like, eyes You really twinkle, want goes, to hear this. Mm, really want to hear this, don't you? <sighs> and he's like, you get the sense that right there, he's like, maybe imagination and wonder is not dead yet. Because here it is. And as long as that's alive, I'm alive too. And that's when he starts reclaiming his youth. Yep. By the way, the I'm not going to say device because it cheapens it, but the thing that Gilliam does where every time Baron Munchausen experiences something impossible, adventurous and impossible. Ad- or adventurous or romantic or something that it like inflames the heart and the imagination and the mind, something something uh, I wrote down um, très fantastique at one point. Mm-hmm. Anytime he encounters that thing, that that like utterly like magical moment yes. he gets younger mm-hmm. he becomes youthful but it's not de- not divisive is that the word i'm looking for no it, it's not it's not it's not used it's not gimmicky or gimmicky anything like yeah, yeah, that. yeah yeah it's and, it, and he doesn't become like 20 but the visible signs of age and wear are, they start whoop, to wear away they, yeah they the when, wrinkles in his neck are because he's not a young man even the actor play he's in his 50s, I would say, probably. Or 60s, yeah, the youngest like we see him, he still looks in his he's 50s still, he's for still, sure. Still age, look older. Yeah, definitely. Than the two of us. Yeah. Uh, not so much me because I'm good. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but it's not it's not like oh my god he's 20 again right. now suddenly we have Jude Law playing Baron Munchausen he's he's 20 years 15 yeah Gilliam years didn't Doctor Parnassus it no he didn't <laughs> it's all the same guy it's just different makeup Doctor Parnassus shout out. By the by, to the is that a Terry Gilliam movie? Yes, it is. The Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus is uh, accidental Parnassus. Ter- yep. Terry Gilliam. There you reference. go. I just said it because I a bunch of different actors play the same yep. guy. Exactly. But I was like, oh wait, that's I think that's Terry. That Gilliam is Terry film. Gilliam, and using theater again as a, as a storytelling. Never saw it. Oh my god. I hear it's Heath Ledger's last movie though, so I will it check is. it out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but um, yeah, like the that fuck. You know what? Uh, again, and watching this movie. A couple times, I, wa- I, I wasn't taken out of the movie, but a couple times, I have several of, my dad gave me his whole book collection, mm. I have several old fantasy collections, like short story collections, Love anthologies, that. with like George R.R. R. Martin and like R.A. Lafferty short stories in them, and oh, I wanted to just be like, Carl, can I pause the movie and go and lay out in the grass and read fantasy stories for like a couple hours? Oh no, seriously. And then we'll come finish it? Yeah. Oh, fuck, dude. Yeah, this makes me want to read like adventure stories, and we're like, <laughs> yep. This this movie is so excellent. Um, oh God! There's uh, I did write down my first my second note is Gilliam films look expensive as fuck. They are. <laughs> I yeah I know you said he goes over budget a lot but like the opening sequence I'm like 
this is Ben. I'm watching like Ben Hur times a thousand. Mm-hmm. There's like there's there's like Oriental cannons happening. This is Turks, right? Turks, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, there's big dragon cannons and there's full size fucking towers with people on them. There's parapets, explosions, and fire everywhere. Everywhere. And also, that's a big ass set. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they renovated like a neighborhood or something, but still, it's like that stage is outside. It's like a part of a. It's like yeah, it's a corner of a town. Yeah, essentially, and this this theater, the stage is on. Right, and then there's there's like a there's we see the inside, we see the walls. He builds a moon set, a moon city. He builds Vulcan's place. He does the cool one of my favorite like special movie effects I've ever seen is when that that ship is going across the the like ocean of stars, which becomes the sand. Become the sand. That, oh, that's so, so cool. cool. But like. Watching the set pieces and then noticing that everyone is in costume, period costume. Oh, fuck. That, of like several different cultures. In the end, when we are pulling back from the Sultan's tent as all the armies are gathering and keep, the camera keeps pulling back and more army fills in the frame, it keeps pulling back. And you're like, that's a lot of people. The camera keeps pulling back. That's a lot of, lot of people. And it just keeps pulling back. And the yeah. frame keeps getting full of more and more people. I'm like, this isn't CGI. No. And everyone is wearing... A costume and right. it's not like a filler costume like oh if they're like the tenth one back you can just put a black hat on them you can wear jeans it's no. fine we'll everyone's never see wearing it. full Turkish everyone has garb. everything from their socks to their headpieces completely clothed it's like holy fuck it's insanity because you're looking at probably like 600 extras or oh more. E- yeah probably 600 i would say is like be a fair minimum yeah. yeah but like that's that's an amazing number of extras. Also, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up. Spe- we were talking earlier about like uh, the filmmaking, the mm-hmm. camera trick. They're doing like this really long dolly pan back where they're dollying mm-hmm. back, 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 back. And as the camera passes two extras, they s- step into each other because they have to make way for, for the cart for the cart. Yeah. But when you watch it it's almost seamless but that little bit of motion as they close ranks adds to the scene because you are watching baron munchausen get surrounded get surrounded so the pan serves or that's not a pan it's a zoom the technical it's a dolly out but yeah the technical need to make room for the 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 dolly cart as it goes backwards is creating an effect where like this ocean of humanity is slamming shut on baron munchausen right before he's about to be executed it's such a simple little trick to create that unbroken Mm -hmm. sea of humanity but it adds so much to that moment and the the uh the length of it mm-hmm. the it goes on for so long yeah. he's just zooming 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 out zooming out still going back still, still going. going back oh, still boy. going back now there's horses still uh, going now there are elephants with towers on elephants them, with towers more people people, 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 people. and you're like holy, <laughs> holy shit fuck, dude that's so, wow this army is very large um god yeah i mean I don't know. How, I, should we go through notes in order so we can kind of? I mean, of... I guess so. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at because I'm. I don't want to miss anything that I. I mean, the, I. This is one of my favorite movies. Uh, just period. And as I, you know, and I've stated before, Gilliam is like top uh, two directors. Him and Spielberg. Spielberg is is. Anyway, we don't have to talk about Spielberg. But no, we can so, talk about Spielberg. Talk about Spielberg, man. And I feel like they're similar in in some ways, especially early Spielberg. I think that's why I'm I'm drawn to them so much. Spielberg more grounded in reality, but, but mm. if you watch like E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, his earlier stuff, where it is, 
it's poking your imagination because they're they're fantastical movies about, but they're grounded in more of reality. You I would have gone Indiana it. Jones. Indiana Jones is very much so too. Because this this the this Avengers is more like a Raiders of the Lost. Very arc. much so. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah, we're like or for, I I was going Temple of Doom because when oh you, yeah 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 okay when you watch Temple of Doom and you see that giant underground vaulted cavern with the drums and, and the they're statues, ripping living hearts out. They're of pulling people. a living heart out of a guy, Kalima. You know, like mm-hmm. that. Step out of it for a second. Totally implausible. Oh yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Raiders of the Lost. And I just said grounded in reality. Right, but like, but- even Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're like, okay, we've got a golden idol, and they have a complex. This ancient culture has a, has a complex counterweight system of counterweights <laughs> that's going to flood the whole chamber, and a boulder's going to roll, and we've got pits and spikes. Yeah. And- how did they get compressed air to fire the blowgun right. darts across the thing based on Some multiple... pretty strong people to push that boulder up the ramp. But like, you watch it, you don't you're don't. you there. Yeah. You're there a thousand percent, just mm-hmm. like with this one. Yep. Like, at no point, you, you realize it's all implausible, but you you go for the ride. Yeah. At no point are you like, I'm calling bullshit. Everyone knows the mood. Well, one of the first things you see the Baron do is ride a, a mortar shell across <laughs> the batter, battlefield and then catch a Let cannonball it. as it's going the other way. And land right back, and where, land right he back was. where he was. The the moment for me that solidified the the like the unbroken awesome fantastic mirror that that Gilliam is holding up for us that's showing us like our childhood mm-hmm. is when they tie a rope around the end of the moon. Yeah. Because everyone on earth has seen that Except for the people who believe it's a hologram. Everybody on Earth knows that the fucking moon is a, like, what we're, the moon is not actually becoming a sliver. We're seeing a shadow. shadow. But in this world, without even a second thought, they walk to the tip of the moon and hang a rope around the tip of the moon and then climb down. And in a gloriously Looney Tunes moment, they're like, I've reached the bottom. And he's like, here's some more. He's like, where the fuck do you get that? And he's like, I cut it from the top. And he's like, where else would I get the rope from? Yeah, there's no more rope. I just cut it from the top. Now tie it and we'll just keep going down. And they stay that way for like a minute. They're just hanging on nothing. nothing. And then all of a sudden it reality catches up. It falls down. And I love them. I love that. um, Bertold. Bertold, yeah. That Bertold goes with it, where he's like, yep. well, oh, you're the Baron. that's why he's the Baron. Yeah, exactly. I never would have thought that. I would have thought that that was physically impossible to do. You know? <laughs> it's like, so, I guess I should have thought of that. That's well, why you're the Baron. And I love, because you know what? I was right with him. I'm like, oh, wow. I yeah, I yeah, guess yeah, this is working. Take it from the top. Cool, take it from the top. And they're, they're going to go all the way yep. down to Earth on two pieces of hair, and then it falls. But... The reason you go along with it is you just watch them tie the hair to the, to the tip moon. of a moon. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, yeah, I guess that's not any weirder than the fucking moon thing that we just saw, or the severed or the head fe- world. Or the severed head of of Robin Williams. And oh, it's, it's the the elements of fantasy mm-hmm. in this. And the okay, so this is going to sound absurd, but no. most of this movie will sound <laughs> yes. absurd. But so when we first see him flying through the sky in a ship carried by a hot air balloon made, made out, out of knickers, pan- made out of knickers. Yeah. Not pantyhose technically, but knickers, the undergarments, undergarments yes. of women. Uh, and he's talking to Sally and is like, well, she's like, where are we going? And he's like the moon. She's like, that'll take forever. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I guess. That's and also imp- right. <laughs> impossible. But like when the ship flies in the air, you're just like, wow, this is it's so delightful because yes. it's 
God damn it's it. It's a huge balloon made of The biggest balloon you've ever it's seen. huge. And it's carrying the the fake ship that they were using on the set. Right. It's, to, for the for the play of right. Bear Moon. I'm like, it's the most glorious fucking, it's, like. It's, it's amazing. The coolest, I just, it's the coolest airship ever. It's and just you, like, ah. Part of the genius, uh, part of the genius about why it works is Baron Munchausen takes it all so in stride, so yes. matter-of-factly. He's like, it's it's almost like we, for, for the beginning part of the film, we're like that rabble who's like, this is absurd, this crazy old man. And he's just like, they're, they're like, okay, wait, you're going to build a hot air balloon out of knickers and tie a fake stage ship to it and then fly through the sky to the moon? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, that's that is what, what I'm, I'm doing. Do. And you I have know, to go find my friends so we right, can come back and save the town. I got to go get my friends off the moon so I can come back. And, and save your, save your city uh, from the Turks, dummy. And then you know what? That's what he does. And it's exactly <laughs> what he does. So, and he takes it. He's so sure that everything he does is going to work, and takes it all so in stride that you are like, "Oh, all right." And then you're there with him. And I love when he's when he's like, you know, like we're sailing to the moon. She's like, "That'll take forever." And he's like, "Don't worry about it." It's and fine. then he's quiet for a second, smoking his gorgeous German clay tavern pipe, which unfortunately breaks on the moon. But uh, he looks over at her and he goes, "You were." You of course know about the detaching heads. Like that would be common knowledge. Common knowledge. And she's like, nope. And he's like, well, let me tell you about it. Their heads come off, <laughs> and the, then their heads come off to seek knowledge and understanding, and they leave their bodies behind for well <laughs> to do body things. <laughs> Can we? Um, oh, before I get to the the really quick note, I have. Two things mm-hmm. over. I have three things that have to do with the hot air balloon mm-hmm. and the boat. First of all, when he has them build this hot air balloon, we, we've seen a pretty disaffected populace so far. Yes. They're dirty. The audience who's watching the play have like cuts, They're like bleeding, bleeding yeah. cuts on their faces. This is like a society in wartime. Yeah. This is like England, in the middle of it. England in the Blitz, exactly. Yeah. It's a very much keep calm and carry on situation. Right. They're, you know, like, let's go to the theater and cannonballs are fucking just destroying the city. Exactly. Because what else are you going to do? You know, sit at home and be all like, oh, I'm scared. No, go watch the fucking yeah. play. But. When he tells those ladies, like, first of all, I'm going to have to ask you to remove your knickers. And they're like, the next thing we see is two guys on the bellows filling up this giant fucking balloon made of knickers. And the crowd around him is like, "Uh," they're they're excited. They're still incredulous and skeptical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're like, they're all excited. They're like, look at this big ass balloon. What's he doing? What is happening right now? Yeah. And he's part of it's like the weirdness of it where they're like, we just have never seen anything like this. And guess what? That's what fantasy is. Mm -hmm. And it's almost it's, it's injecting them with a little bit of hope too. He pulls the populace back into wonder and awe, hope and belief in magic. Yeah. Basically, like when when the balloon like kind of fills up and then uh, when the boat gets off the ground and they're trying to hold it down, mm-hmm. that crowd is fucking in. They're oh, like, yeah. they're like, oh my God, <laughs> dude, he got a huge balloon made out of underwear and there's a boat in the sky. Holy shit. They lo- they all look like children. They're like happy yes. children. And then when the soldiers march in and dickhead Mr. Reason is like, Everybody, you know, like, arrest that man. And he's like, let go. Instead of, like, everyone just trudging along to the tune, he's like, let go. Let me fly in my underwear ship. They're like, do it. Let him go. Rock and roll, man. Like, even in that moment, he, the society that we end up with at the end that celebrates and the society that basically just says, like, 
fuck you to soldiers pointing their guns at a crowd of unarmed people. Mm-hmm. That society doesn't exist at the beginning of the movie. No. They are downtrodden as shit, but when they see underwear balloon fly away. Yeah. We see that society again in the end, even though we find out underwear balloon may have been a fabrication. May have been, but... It, do, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It, they, it's, a, it's a Brazil ending, but this is the happiest Brazil ending I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was so worried I was being Return of the Kinged. Oh, God. I was like, oh, are we going to like cut to him like in that back room again, like just yep. dying on the floor? It was no. all a t- no. I can't do it. I can't do it. If this ends bad, I'm going to just shoot my television. And it does not. It doesn't. But I love watching that that happy crowd like just mm-hmm. seeing people be happy again yes. in a war-torn city i'm it's that is that's the job of fantasy man it is that's exactly the job of fantasy um and not only is that the job of fantasy reason that i'm gonna i'm just calling him reason but it's the elected official who i'm referring oh, to yeah. like the the logic guy the paperwork fuck he looks up and sees the balloon so and he look he's like he's sitting there like I'm signing my 10W44 yeah. and he looks out and he sees the balloon and they're like what should we do and he goes he won't get far on hot air and fantasy and I almost fucking cried again Carl yeah. Mister <laughs> making me watch movies that make me feel things sorry what an amazing line he won't yeah. get far on hot air and fantasy for two reasons that line is incredible one in that moment it gives you the thesis of the film yep. Which is establishing the importance of escapism and fantasy in these horrifically shit conditions. And two, at the end of the film, you realize that hot air and fantasy overcame oppression yes. and freed these people and gave them back their lives and re- and imbued their city with hope and showed war to be, showed that particular war, but war as a concept, the fallacy that it is. Exactly. Because when they open the gates in the end of the movie, there are no there are enemies. No yeah. The 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 tents have <laughs> oh, been shit. burned. There's it's yeah. Carl, no, no, we can't talk about it anymore. We're dry. <laughs> but dude, <laughs> that we were talking about it um, through the lens of V for Vendetta when we were watching Brazil. Yes. Where like, what if the terrorists are the government to keep people mm-hmm. cowed? And we talked about it in V for Vendetta where explicitly the terrorist attack was the government used to keep people in fear yeah. to help control people. In this movie. We finally see what happens when the people push open the gates and realize that there is no enemy because there is only them. There's only them. Right. Because it's not a town full of people. It's just people. And there is no other because we are all that thing. We are all humans. And when they open the door and see that there is no enemy and there is no war, Baron Munch and Baron Munchausen basically rides away into the sunset because not because he's not needed. No, but he he wants to go have more adventures, I think. Yeah, because it's we don't. Like his, it, the world is full of adventure and imagination again. We don't now. see him die. We just see him kind of peace out and yeah. ride off into that glorious sunset yeah. over the dune or whatever. But I think, like, and I like it, it's important that he doesn't die because he was going to die because there was no place for fantasy and imagination. Mm-hmm. And now that village is nothing but fantasy and yeah. hope and imagination. And when he, oh God, what an amazing, and then, so we jumped to the end, but when that boat, the, the fake, the fake underwear ship. Yes. When, <laughs> when we get, who shoots clouds better than Terry Gilliam? Oh my God. When they're flying, the first time underwear ship takes off in those clouds, I'm like, 
fuck, dude. No one does flying through the clouds better than Brazil. Gillian. He does it in Brazil. Brazil. He too. does it in the very beginning of the movie and all of the, the dream seen, sequences. I've never seen right? Time Bandits, but I, is there something in the clouds? Uh, there is probably a couple. Did, I wrote down more of Gilliam's world above the clouds. My God, Mr. Gilliam, I love how you dream. The way that he sees, the way that he sees in his head because you said he shoots what he sees in his head yes the way that he sees clouds the way that he sees the sky that's the artist in him because he primarily he started as a as an artist with painting and 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 so that's how his brain works i I remember the first time i got bird on a plane i went to visit my parents in mississippi and she'd never been on a plane before and we were like flying and we got into that like cloud Mm -hmm. where when you're in the cloud and it it. just looks shitty out the window (laughs) it's like just gray and like everything's kind of wet and Bird's like, I'm like, so what do you think of your first plane ride? I asked like just 30 seconds too soon. And she's like, I don't know. You know, it is what it is. It felt it's kind of fun to be then flying. He, then then he you broke crested the, the clouds and she was, she had a window seat. I was like, you got to sit by the window. She's like, I don't, what, I'm, I'm not going to care. I'm like, you are going to care. You're an artist. As soon as he You're, broke the cloud ceiling. Holy fuck, dude. She was, she became like, like eight years old. Yep. But like not in that like, oh my God. It, it was just you could see like wonder filler again for a second. It's it as we get older, it's harder for things to imbue us with wonder. Yes, think, absolutely. But seeing above the clouds and seeing her see what it looks like above it's the clouds wonder. for the first yeah. time, Jesus Christ, dude. So yeah, every time I talk about going anywhere, she's like, "Can we fly?" I'm, Can like, we fly? I'm like, "No, that's inconvenient right. because it's a short <laughs> drive and tickets are a thousand dollars." So what are you talking about? It's forty five miles away. We do not have to. fly. We don't have to fly. She's like, "But the clouds." I'm like, "Well, yeah, the clouds might be worth five hundred dollars." They might be <laughs> seeing above the clouds. At that point, take a hot air balloon ride or make your own underwear ship. Correct. Yeah, bird. Why don't we just make an underwear ship? Look, I'm gonna need you to remove your knickers. <laughs> <laughs> just like you bad. <laughs> um, it's all a ploy just to get an underwear ship. While we're talking about fantasy and like the wonder of fantasy and mm-hmm. stuff, I have a uh, I mentioned a different, a completely unrelated essay, but I have a new another Neil Gaiman essay from the same book where he kind of talks about something that I think is important to this movie. Um, Neil Gaiman attended the first science fiction convention ever held in China. Because sure. sci-fi is illegal over there, mm-hmm. like to to write it and have conventions and reading it, like it's it's banned literature because they have a really tightly controlled, yeah. you know, that's how China works. Mm-hmm. So they had one. They're like, well, let's have a science fiction convention and maybe we'll start le- like letting people read sci-fi, which is fucking unheard of. So Neil Gaiman was at it and he. You know, he's there. He was the like one of the guest speakers or whatever talking about science fiction. And he went to was talking to a party official and was like, you guys have never done this before. You've never let people read science fiction before. So I'm glad you're doing it. But I'm just curious why? Like, what is the change? And the guy said, well, we build things. We make things. But we don't come up with them. You Americans design cell phones and design laptops and you send them to us and we make them, but we don't come up with any of them on our own. So we went, we sent people over to America and we went to all of your top tech corporations and we asked a bunch of questions to the board of directors and the inventors and the engineers and the people who worked there. And one common, one thing they all had in common was that they read science fiction and fantasy growing up. They were inspired by Star Trek or... Ray Bradbury or iRobot or yeah. yeah. So uh, so the guy said we <laughs> think maybe that's not so bad. Maybe there's some something to that. So 
outside of the the realm of this incredible film think about the power of that though mm-hmm. science fiction changed the way a government treated its people they that changed it science fiction and fantasy changed, changed. a country yeah that's insane <laughs> But why? Uh, what other force is that powerful? The like the imagination and creativity, and that's like such a unique thing to human beings, right? What yeah. other force would be strong enough to change? Well, love. <laughs> but but, like, but don't cheapen it. Love is. Tr- no, think it, about. I mean, if you want to talk about like causes of war. No, fair enough. Love yeah. is fairly. And I'm a big fan of it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I felt myself being really war? cheesy just no, then. No, I and I think it's. This I is think why it's, I said that. I believe in the power of love. Trust me. But yeah. like, sometimes when you say it in this context, it sounds a little like. I know. No, I'm I'm 100 with like you. Cheesy and had shit. I, like, had I not had we not been having a conversation about like the power of fantasy and stuff, right. I any other time I would have been. They would have been like, well, what's your what's your favorite emotion? I probably would have been like, oh, well, love. <laughs> Why do you think paintings are made and music is written? Yeah, that like, yeah. stupid old thing. I would have cheapened it too, but like now in this moment, right. it's this is almost like, I feel like, you know, on Christmas Eve or on Halloween, mm-hmm. how sometimes you're like, you know, maybe there are ghosts. Yeah, you get that really weird, like... Where some, it feels like anything is possible. Mm-hmm. After watching this movie, I'm in like a temporary Christmas Eve where I'm like, awesome. I'm like, let us never cheapen how important love is. Yeah. Let us not cheapen the the importance of just imagining things that could not possibly be and then believing them yes you know like the in my day-to-day life cynical waiter that i am you know like you shit all over it but short story go ahead yeah it's relevant so about the christmas eve thing and think and like thinking that possibly again for a moment like does is santa claus real Mm -hmm. when i was on leave from the military i was my second year in I, I came home for Christmas and my sister and I were hanging out uh, in this and like the loft in our where the TV was. We'd hang out. It's it like a, a middle attic. So like it was above the second story, but there was an add on. So it was like the second roof was there. Anyway, so it's like the loft in the house. Right. Platform nine and three quarters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So we're sitting there. We're chilling out. We're just watching a movie and it's probably like one o'clock in the morning. Okay. And it's Christmas Eve, and we're just like, we're well, little... uh, is it? So it's one o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. Oh, stop so it's, it! It's Christmas it's Eve. Christmas, I'm just trying to get yeah, my days sorry, right. Sorry, yeah. And so okay. it's, it's the 24th it's going into. Gotcha. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. one o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. Gotcha. Okay, but we're we, still in Eve. We're still in the Eve. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're chilling out, and we're watching a movie, and we hear fucking sleigh bells <laughs> outside, <laughs> like circling the house, and then we hear like. We were like, are we hearing fucking sleigh bells right now? I'm like, no, it couldn't possibly be sleep. I'm hearing sleigh bells. What the <laughs> fuck is going? Then we stopped hearing them and we like turned the, the movie down. We're like listening. We get up. We're looking outside the window. It's like, dad couldn't possibly be. No, that wouldn't be a thing. Like, right. what the fuck is going on right now? And then we heard like things knocking on the roof, like like stones and shit, and like almost like somebody walking. We're like, the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> I'm on my second year in the military. My sister is still in high school. So we're like, is fucking, is fucking Santa on our is roof Santa right now? Like, but we're we're not drunk. We're not doing drugs or anything. We're literally just watching a movie in, in, right. the, in the attic, and we're like, Sarah, if I look outside and there's fucking Santa Claus, I'm gonna lose my shit. And she's like, she's like crying almost, like shaking, like Carl, 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 Carl. And then we heard sleigh bells again. I'm like, that's definitely fucking sleigh bells. It's 1.30 in the morning. No one's crazy enough to be out there with fucking sleigh bells. Is there a shit. logical resolution to this or no? There is. No. But we, 
Fuck okay. you. I know. Okay, what's the logical was, resolution? So, so we, we didn't even want to talk about it, so we didn't bring it. We brought it up to the, our parents the next day, and like, you kids, are you smoking the wacky weed in the loft? Because that's ridiculous. Jazz cabbage. And I can always tell I can always tell my dad is like trying to get one over, and if we're like, ask him, did dad, did you do that? And he can uh. always say, like, oh, no, of course not, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But my dad is like, what the fuck do you think is wrong with me? I'm 55 years old. Why the hell would I go outside with sleigh bells? You are grown ass adults. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> And my stepmom was like, I'm embarrassed to be your stepmom. I don't even know what to say right now. Like, are you guys putting us on? Like, what's the deal? So years later, like a couple years ago, I'm drinking beer with my dad on the deck. And all he, he puts his beer down. He looks at me. He's like, it was me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. It was you. He's like, remember when you the and your sister bells. thought, yeah, yeah, so it was me. I just thought you should know. What a dick. <laughs> I know. I was like, Dad. What an asshole. No. But anyway, so, but it was like feeling that moment of. Yeah. You're. I hate your father. I was like, <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Carl. Just destroyed, <laughs> destroyed my sense of wonder. Everything's a lie. <laughs> There's no truth in the world. <laughs> There's no truth in the world. Oh my god, no. I'm gonna go watch I The know. Machinist again. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's so great, dude. What an awesome story, though. Yeah. But having that having that feeling again. Like, yeah, I love, I love that feeling. Yeah. And you know, Gilliam does it really well. Mm-hmm. Like... Jarmish makes you want to be an intellectual, but Gilliam makes you want to be a child. Yeah, he wants to, makes you want to be a dreamer. Yeah. God, it's... Um, when we get to the moon mm-hmm. in the panty boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yes. you oh, missed yes. it. My wife is now with us, not on mic, but in the kitchen. Um, so there, when, there's the storm, and they fall, and there's a big splash, and and then a sea of stars. That is such a gorgeous shot, and be, I'm pretty sure that's full size too, because you can see them in the boat. Mm-hmm. So that's another set. That's another giant fucking set. So we get sea of stars and then we see some ripples in the star. We think we're looking at the night sky, but then we see like ripples in the stars and the boat comes in, you know, enter stage right and it comes or stage left and it comes in and you know, we're like, Oh look, it's, it's the, there's a, when have you ever seen a ship sailing through the stars? Literally. It's one of the most magical things I've ever seen. And then when you think like, God, this is the most magical thing I've ever seen. The stars, you see light, light starts to happen and you realize that the stars are fading and now the ship is sailing through the sands the of, sand the of the moon. moon. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God, oh shit. <laughs> oh my God. Gilliam just doubled down yeah. <laughs> on the most amazing fantasy thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So we're we're to the moon, we see the boat in the stars and the sand, and then we see Gilliam show us the facade of a city again. Oh my God! It's those so little pop ups of the facades of all the buildings, and it's like the. Well, I'm a, I'm a particular favorite of the King of the Moon, and <laughs> yeah, and then we hear fanfare, but it's tinny. It's all tinny, like it's recorded. It sounds yeah. like a really shitty like boombox of fanfare, and we see the the. There's like the mo. It's like a, it's like a wind up clockwork version of like the hustle and bustle of a city, 
but there's no people to bustle. So the buildings are the moving buildings around are moving. and they're coming. Buildings are coming forward and buildings are receding and things are. It's a lot of it is it is it's it's flash and fanfare and pizzazz, but it's all fake. Yeah, it's total facade. And you're I mean, I'm sure there's a billion things that we could say it's a reference to, but it, it has that feel of like a that of like a military parade yep. to me, which is it's just sort of fake and all fanfare. Yeah, it's uh, it's false. This is just for show, mm-hmm. not to be political, but it feels like you know the videos of like the North Korean like oh, yeah. military marches, where it's like we are in really good shape, our country's wealthy, yeah. and then you're like the whole country is poor and they have electricity for like an hour a day, right? And everyone's starving, so it's it's false. It's just like just for show, and then it, that show becomes a trap. Yeah. And you're like, it, oh, it my literally God. locks them it in. It literally locks them in. They're locked in by that, that false. Mm-hmm. That's what I take it as. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so so good. And then we meet Robin Williams. <laughs> you said the words that came out of your mouth were like, "Holy shit, that's Robin Williams." Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. you're like, it is. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> I feel like half this movie was just me going like, fuck. And then you going, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's it. It's like the whole, that was our whole watching this movie experience. Me whispering profanity and you affirming and it. Going, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fuck indeed. Yes. Correct. Fuck. Um, <laughs> so I just, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't make this connection if I hadn't just read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland mm-hmm. by Lewis Carroll. But the way that Baron Munchausen describes the detached heads and the way we see the detached head and body thing play out with the king and queen of the moon is very akin to uh, Lewis Carroll's like magical potions and mushrooms that make Alice grow and shrink, because in the book in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Alice Alice's head grows out of proportion to her body, where sometimes her head is like is. really tall and gigantic, and she can't see her feet or hands or her body, and it's just her head up in the clouds. And then other times her body grows gigantic and she's you know her body's so big that she, her, her head her is head all is out small, of proportion right. and a, a lot of critics of the or not critics but people who have written like criticisms of the book or essays on the book say that that's a really apt metaphor for puberty where sometimes you know like your your body's like going you're like all crazy and out of proportion right your body's like knocking and, into stuff yep. and like there's a point where she grows huge in a house and can't she doesn't fit anymore yeah so she's got a hand out the window and a leg up the chimney and it's like your your body's gawky and awkward and your body's huge and unmanageable and you're mm-hmm. you can't control your body and then other times you're you you learn things and your head grows out of all proportion but you've become detached from your body same i think it's the same sort of thing and i think it's balance because when the king when their heads are off when the especially the king yeah he's very much different than the queen is almost the same with her head attached as disattached which i like what that seems to say yeah which is that when robin william when the king's head is detached he's very intellectual but also but also a little bit delusional too because he thinks he created the universe he didn't he's just the king of the moon and hyper intelligent but he's also completely insane yeah he's gone mad because he's he said he hasn't been back to his body at the time we see him for like for ages ages, he's just been away from his body so when robin williams head is off of his body he He's like he becomes like this being of pure intellect where he's just, you know, he says, like, I have comets to control Mm -hmm. and things. And it's I think that's that ego of of 
I think the the king of the moon is kind of a parallel to the elected official. Mm-hmm. When you have just pure intellect and you just stay up in your head all day and you're not interacting with the world through your body, which is how you uh, Grant Morrison calls his body his meat suit. But um, you know, when you're just in your head all day, you start to th- believe that you are master of all you survey, yes. like observe just observable events. Like, well, oh yes, I've tracked the paths of all the con. I, not to critique science, but no. we've tracked the paths of all the comets and all the and stars. Those comets were doing those things long before. That doesn't mean shit. You're like, well, I know the path of every comet in this galaxy, and I know how every orbit of every planet works. And it's like, awesome. What does that matter? Uh, well, you know, I know it. I don't hey, fucking good. care. Why does that matter? What are you talking about? Have you been outside yesterday? Well, no, no, I've been... It's a beautiful day. You should check it out. I've been tracking the comets, though. And it's like, awesome. Doesn't matter. You don't control it. Like, this this whole clock. But what if one is coming towards us? We'd want to know, but would that change it? Would it... Would we be able to... How would we be able to... What? It's okay. There's a comet the size of the moon is going to hit the Earth. Can you, can you stop that? Well, no, but I know it. Awesome. Doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to go have a... Delicious cup of coffee and hold my girlfriend's hand and perhaps kiss her one more time before it or something the earth. like that. Right? Like it's it's just because just because you're up in your head and you have all this knowledge doesn't mean you control or command. You, you shit. don't control any of exactly. it. Exactly. But on the converse, you know, like when you are just body, which I guess they we see that I mean, he's not he that much better very, when no, he's whole. He's not. <laughs> but when it's just the body, it's like this oafish like clawing yep. at and her just and just trying to bone batting. the all the body's yep. trying to do is bone the queen yeah he's like batting at it at least i mean it even with the head attached he's still totally boorish but yeah at least when the head is attached the queen is able to reach something where she's like well eat something before we have sex he's like, ah, perfect. He's like that's a great yeah. idea and he eats some fruit and she gets a temporary reprieve mm-hmm. so and I also love that when when the detached head of the queen is trying is is rescuing them, freeing them, and she's the making cage. orgasm sounds in the and Sally's like, what are the sounds she's making? Like, oh, the king is uh, tickling her feet. The king and is he, with the queen's body, and, and uh, he's tickling her feet. And then we cut to the scene. Oh, yes, yes, no, no, yes. And he's legitimately he's actually tickling, tickling her, her feet. feet. <laughs> I have a note on that. I said, <laughs> of course he's tickling her feet. This is a fantasy story. Yes. And again, the importance of escapism amidst the horrors of war, which is like, um, it's like that, ma- the, like the Mad Hatter's tea party that yes, happens in yes, yes. The Alice's Adventures in Wonderland when she's trying to be like, why are you at, why are you having tea time right now? And he's like, because it's always tea time here. And she's like, that's re- why. And he's like, cause I upset time. And you're like, oh, time is personified and it refuses to to interact with the Mad Hatter anymore so he's frozen in time it's totally absurd but it's totally absurd in an absurd fantasy story so take it as red take it as red so like the fact (laughs) that Robin Williams is actually tickling her feet and there's even like there's definitely overt sexual references there oh of course he's like you're awfully quiet oh you're a pillow biter and he keeps tickling her feet and then later there's a dark moment where he goes to slap her but she doesn't have her head so he misses and he goes "Ah, no head to hit and you're like, oh, oh shit. shit, Robin Williams is an abusive, <laughs> abusive, abusive king, man. Moon, That's moon person. Yeah, the moon. So what we learned today is the king of the moon beats his wife. Yes. But like he goes, he like swings. And then there's a, there's a great moment where after Baron Munchausen cuts off the, no, yeah, cuts off the lock of the queen's hair and her head goes floating away back to him. She goes, 
she's still like having her feet tickled and she's like what's his name roger the king roger is the king like roger i'm coming i'm I'm coming coming. and you're like hmm Mm -hmm. you are on your way to him in the sense that you are you are coming to him him. but you're also coming Coming. to him way to go gilliam what's this movie rated PG thirteen. I have the case. It's right there. Hold I on. will vamp. Um, bum 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 bum. Nice vamping. Yeah. <laughs> so next, by vamping, next, I mean, by vamping, I mean <laughs> this is rated PG? PG. Wow. The amount. Okay. To give you an ex- to give you a sense, listeners at home, not you, Carl. Mm-hmm. Of how well Gilliam structures this movie and the the master. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna keep calling him a fantasist because yeah, that, I think that's fair. The master fantasist that he is. I thought this movie was rated R. Yeah, there's decapitations. There's violence. There, uh, but there's nothing there's a, in this there's movie. A, there's a quarter of an Uma nipple. You do get a glimpse of Uma nipple. Yep. You do. There's naked women, but there's I, they, yeah that that Uma nipple. Maybe this. Yeah, that Uminip. Maybe this should be a PG thirteen, but like, there's nothing in here I wouldn't show a ten year old right. kid. And this was made after the PG thirteen was a thing. Eighty eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the PG thirteen yeah, yeah, yeah. was firmly in the MPAAs. I would say, like, this this movie to me is totally safe for kids. There's mm-hmm. nothing in here that would, I think, scare or upset children. It might or... be a, like, like scary. Like the Jabberwocky is scary. Like, well. There, um, do you have you ever read Coraline? Uh, I've seen the, the film. The film I have not. There's read. a famous, not famous. There's a a story about the publication of the book, which was released in two editions. There was uh, an edition illustrated and released for children, mm-hmm. and there's a hardcover edition released for adults because the publisher couldn't figure out which it was for. Oh shit! So Neil Gaiman sent it to his publisher, and he's like, "I wrote this children's book, Coraline. Here you are." And she read it, and she's like. There's no fucking way we can publish this book for children. For a kid. Okay. This is terrifying. <laughs> Neil, this is the scariest book. Well, the cartoon's bo- pretty fucked up, Like, too, this is one book. of the scariest books I've ever fucking read. And he goes, read it to your kids and tell me what they say. And she read it to her kids and she's like, you're right. They weren't scared at all. They thought they saw it as an adventure story. Yeah. So he, the things, he, he has awesome interviews about it where he's like, the things that adults find terrifying, the kids don't even notice. Well, because we're, we're viewing and reading that through a filter of all of our terrifying life experiences. Right, yeah. We've we, learned that the world is a fucking scary place where a kid is just like, I want to go climb a tree and have an adventure. And think about the Wizard of Oz. Like, there's a lion, there's a man that's frozen, in, there's a tin man, there's a scarecrow that's, da- like, that's some, that's some scary shit. I think a big part of it is that children don't appear vulnerable to children. Oh, they do to us, though. Adults? Because we want we to protect see, them. Yeah, we see kids and we're like, oh my God, don't go near that. Oh God, oh God, Jesus, don't put hold that in your hand. Oh, don't look at that. Right. You're not supposed to see that yet. Kids are just like, oh, cool, look at that. There's a bunch of bees in this bush. They're right. like, oh, I'm going to climb this tree. And we're like, oh my God, you're climbing too fucking high. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But to that kid, the kid's like, I had a great day climbing a tree. Yeah. We're like... I almost saw a kid fall out of a tree. died today. Right? So like that, that it's that thing where when I watch this movie, I'm like, 
this is an R-rated film. Mm-hmm. There's like there's heavy social commentary and the horrors of war. Kids aren't seeing the horrors no. of war and social commentary. They're seeing Eric Idle run really fast and super strong guy yes, carrying exactly like all the treasure of the Sultan's palace on his back. The paperwork jokes right over their oh, heads. They don't the even bureaucracy. See that? Yeah. None of that matters. Like old guy, like the the horror, the the nursing home proxy that mm-hmm. is the belly of the fish. We're like, oh my. god god it's a fucking nursing home yep it's just a bunch of old men turning gray playing cards and reminiscing about the with the, death literally death dealing, is the dealing cards. the cards and they're just reminiscing about the old times and they're gonna sit here until they die and never try and see his life kids are like this is a slow bit before the right pa- this the is like a boring bit the, oh, they're playing cards uh, and they just, and then, the, then the horse knocks on the door and here we are in adventure time and they're again. Like, like yes the horse came through the door and oh the snuff box is going to make the giant fish monster sneeze yep. you know like that this is two movies i regret that i it is impossible for me to see the version of this movie that a child will see oh yeah i can only see this version but this version made me feel first time i watched it in i watched it in probably 90 so it wasn't a kid kid i was um something uh, like middle school you know but still had enough of that like and it was in a what it was just the adventure story part of it right watching it and like as i've watched it over the years you do pick up on more and more it the movie changes yeah based on your perception of it and based on your own life experience well i i remember seeing the older you get because as you get older and older i remember seeing monty python in the quest for the holy grail when for the first time when i was like nine or ten and re-watching the movie as an adult i've only seen it like three times but when i saw it Later, as a grown grown up, I was like, "Oh my god, this movie's filthy." Yeah, it's real dirty. <laughs> but you don't you don't notice it at all nope. when you're young. You're like, "Oh, Camelot's doing silly stuff," and then you're like, kind of shocked, but in a fun way when you're like, "He cut off his arms and legs, yeah. and he's now he's berating him as just a stump." This is so weird. Yeah. But you don't pick up on the like really filthy shit, like when uh, uh, Galahad goes and there's the all the castle the, anthrax. The, the yeah. castle anthrax. Yeah, exactly. Like you miss all that. Yeah. Um, I watched The Meaning of Life when I was like 10 or 11. That's good. That movie has a lot of really heavy shit. Well, and there's, well, there's a, this how to have a sec, sex, how to ed. Have sex ed. Sex ed yeah. is just them having sex. And then the end is like the guy gets to the guy gets uh, executed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he dies by being run off a cliff, being chased by naked women. Yes. And I watched it with um, one of my best friends at the time who was also about 10 years old, 9, 10, 11, probably 10. Uh, and his older teenage brother watched it with us. And mostly everything went over my head. I've since seen the movie several times. Right. I love that movie. But I'm, I re- distinctly remember my first viewing where like the the parts that stick from that watching of it were the the guy eating too much and exploding and the puke bucket was hilarious. <laughs> I've thrown in Lucille's bucket. Right. But when he like the fact just the fact that he's projectile vomiting into a bucket that's like five <laughs> feet away. I was like, this is hysterical. And then I remember I remember being genuinely upset, like actually disturbed by the organ reclamation people. Yeah. I was too young for that. We talked about that a little bit on the Brazil one, Palin being We did, overly, yeah. A little bit dark. Yeah, but I, that that for me was too much yeah as we'll a have you live that and then it gets really real but you kind of self-censor yeah as a, you do as a kid because yeah. like i moved right on i yeah. was like "Ooh, that was because then there's a fun jaunty dancing through the stars song right after the that wonderful universe uh-huh. when they go through the, the refrigerator yeah. but i remember at the end watching the girls running 
And keep in mind, I'm like 10. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm aware. I'm like, oh, naked ladies. And they're bouncing heavily. Yeah, there's a lot of bouncing breasts. It's the whole point of the scene. The, exactly. Is the bouncing breasts. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh, bouncing, the bouncing breasts. Wow, this is, didn't, didn't affect me though. I wasn't right. like, like, oh yeah, look at those girls. It was just like, right. oh, naked ladies. And it was more of fascination of like, that's what women look like naked. Right. That's crazy. Look at those naked people. And we're both sitting there watching the movie all quiet. And I remember... There was a moment where like my friend's older like teenage brother looked at us just like you fucking poor kids <laughs> And he he goes you guys aren't getting anything out of this are you and we're like well, what do you mean this is funny Look at how funny it is he's like fuck <laughs> He just goes back to watching yeah. it I mean when death comes to dinner oh, And he berates he just yells at moose. them Yeah <laughs> The salmon moose Shut up yeah. <laughs> Shut up You Englishman Oh my god It's that Even yep. that At 10 I was like a, I was a smart kid But not like Particularly advanced Like mm-hmm. I didn't know About like naked people And like Ooh, Drug jokes and shit I was just like He is funny <laughs> Agatha Christie Yeah English people English are snooty English snooty yep. <laughs> But like Yeah You could sh- oh, I wish I'd seen this As a kid mm-hmm. But I, I, I think That's important too Which is Kids kids can watch almost anything And they'll pick out the stuff they want to see Now obviously like don't show them Saw Don't show them Hostel Don't show them I Spit on Your Grave Definitely don't show them I Spit on Your Grave Because there's not a whole lot there that they can yep. Pull out of that movie Jaws <laughs> Other, might be even a little too much But maybe think, not No, like, I, I think, think you could yeah, show Jaws like, What is the most horrific thing in Jaws is It's when, when, uh, when he gets eat, bitten half by the boat What's at the his end. name again? Uh, Coop- Captain uh, Cooper's the one who shoots the thing mm-hmm. at the end so it's whatever Keel Craig no fucking um. Keel Craig <laughs> apricot brandy guy so when he gets eaten by the shark that's pretty scary yeah. seeing the I mean we don't see what's left in the bucket right nope. but like the when they take out the the when the coroner takes out that the fucking bucket. metal bucket and that's all that's left of the kid but I think kids would gloss that. They'd yeah, just be like, gloss it. they they don't have they don't have the images in their head yet to fill in the blanks. Right, that makes reading. that so upsetting for us. Whereas saw is you see all the blanks, so don't take your kids. To see don't saw. see your kids to take saw, but you know, like don't see your kids. To take don't saw. see your kids to take saw. <laughs> don't take your kids to see saw to see saw. <laughs> to see saw. Don't, don't see, see saw with, with your kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Sorry. Back to the Adventures of Brandon Munchausen. Yes. I liked okay the whole scene with Vulcan where they is that where are they are they on the they're in a volcano they're, they're in the in, heart of a volcano on the moon in the center of the earth no they fall they fall to from, the earth yep because we get the actual globe oh earth. you're right they, and then they, they fall night through on a volcano earth. into the center of the they're in the center of the earth essentially and then they go through the they whirlpool through to the, the other, other side. side of the yes. planet and then they get carried to the correct side of the planet inside the belly inside of a fish, of giant fish. Yes. got it we're all back on the same page um I like that Vulcan's legs are messed up. He mm-hmm. has those he has those like braces, braces on, on his legs because that's accurate to the myth. They even talk in the those myths of Vulcan and Venus, the the Roman myths. Vulcan is it's pointed out that his legs are gnarled and twisted, and he's dis, like a disgusting imp like figure. So Gilliam clearly has his like his uh, his source material like firmly yeah. in hand. Um, speaking of legs. I noticed in that same scene. Do you remember when Berthold's young 
and we have the flashback to the Sultan's place, yeah. and his calves are calves fucking huge. huge. Yeah. They're so skinny when he's an old man. His calves are like normal. He has no, man, none of that, calves none of that run and speed muscle left anymore. Yeah, I I really liked that attention to detail. Mm. It's we talked about it with Brazil with like the posters on the walls yes. referencing other like Gilliam has every moving piece, every every square inch of every frame. Is there he's not using all of them But he's aware of them all so yes. that he can use Them and except for one Crew member who was standing in how the wrong funny spot. Is that oh. I could tell you were like pissed when I mentioned It yeah like, I'm like no. you just took some of the magic Out of no, this no you bastard <laughs> the, It's during the well, you have a thousand people in a shot Like fuck you gotta have right. a wrangler And it's and, and it's another one where it, it Dollied out a lot yeah so it's like fuck it's covering a lot there's not a lot of room to hide no and the, so you caught one guy watching there <laughs> there is a guy in like this medieval village wearing like a uh, a blue a blue jacket, jacket with, like, with the, writing on the back with writing on the back which is probably the title of the last movie he was working on or yeah. something like yeah it's rocky two or something <laughs> Yeah, this was a uh, Scarface. Yes, fucking, no, but it's there's yeah. a guy wearing like a like a jacket yep. with print on the back, and you're like, hmm. hmm, and he's dead. He's almost dead center in the frame yeah. too, so it's not like you catch him on the edge. No, he's right there. You yeah. can almost read what the the words say on the back. Of well, his when jacket. I get the Blu-ray, you can, you I'll will freeze be able frame to, that. Yeah. And I'll be like, the last movie he worked on was Deep Throat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Carl, you're gonna love this. He worked on Behind the Green Door. Behind the Green Door. It was a, yeah, it was a pornographic film that he worked on, and then he came to this well, it's one. An art house porn film. You're right, and actually one that I would like to watch at some point as a Patreon exclusive. Okay. I've been thinking about right, this. Fair so anyway, like next then. Oh my God, Carl, we could totally do that. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Tasteful, independent art house porn films. That could be a that could be Check. a yeah, that could be a Patreon month. All right. Um Connor is just fist bumping the air. Right Connor's now. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna tell all his friends and we're gonna just be making bank that particular month. That particular month. Um so when Vulcan okay, first of all, we can't we can't glaze over that Uma Thurman is like smoking she, as Venus. I have her written down several times as just incredibly beautiful. Like she is, she is striking in this. Yeah, she she has a, a a look about her. It's not like the girl next door, but there is a uniqueness to her facial features, especially that make her beyond. I beautiful love, in my opinion. I love a quote. It's uh, Edgar Allan Poe. He says the difference between a true beauty and a shop window dummy is some strangeness of proportion, mm. which is if you are perfectly symmetrical and perfectly conventionally beautiful, you are perfectly boring. What makes mm. true a true beauty is some flaw or some oddness, some twist. You sure. have to take that perfect beauty and bend it just, just a little three degrees. And that makes true beauty. Cause when I think of, there's a great I can't remember it's a there's a Joe Rogan podcast where they had a psychologist on and he goes all right think of a think of a beautiful woman to Joe and he's like okay got it and he goes now think of a hot woman and Joe goes oh it's different things (laughs) yeah totally different things and there's a whole there's a whole like area of study about this about what it's uh, like evolutionary um, biology right because there are things that we are keyed into like hips breasts that are just like are you able to make a child with this person right. and continue on the species? And like there's, there's there's like a bunch of theories about them which aren't important to the film. But the idea right. is that there are certain 
triggers that make you make like sexually attractive. There you go. Sex. Right. Yes. And then there are certain triggers that say like, mm, learn more about you. Right. Get to know you. Become your soulmate so that you and I can spend forever together. Right. And that's the difference between hot and beautiful. <laughs> and actually, Bird and I have talked about this because I've always... I've always thought that Uma Thurman is just stunningly gorgeous, yes. totally beautiful. And Bird disagrees. She's like, I don't know. A lot of people are like, I don't do not find Uma Thurman like to be beautiful. Yeah. Or like that's right. Like from for the first time I saw, I think a lot of people like Pulp Fiction is the first time that you see Uma Thurman, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That's yeah. um, a little that I know. I didn't know she was Uma Thurman when I saw this movie. This is right. the first movie I saw with her, but I didn't know if I Pulp Fiction was Pulp my Fiction first Uma. Th- no, Paycheck was my and first re- Uma Thurman. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being like really like sort of mesmerized. I mean, she's wearing that. She's got the black hair with the, the bangs, the bangs yeah. and everything. She looks like no other person on the planet. But looks like no other person on the planet. And I was so just like caught up in she's that. captivating. Cap- yeah. Thank you. That's the word. Just captivated by her appearance mm-hmm. and her performance in that. And in this, she is nothing but, she is playing a fucking Greek god, essentially. Or an Athen, uh, what is uh, uh, she's Roman. If she's Roman, Venus, Venus yeah. would be Roman, right? Venus so, is Roman. Aphrodite is Greek. Aphrodite is her sort of equivalent in the right. Athen. Okay, so no one else could have played Venus. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Like, I was trying to put people in there. Doesn't work. And you, you. Can, I was like, you don't even say a name. Doesn't work. Well, there are, there are like, because I can think of, I can think of other beautiful actresses Absolutely. that you can put in there, and it would be like, wow, yeah, that's amazing. But there's something about Uma Thurman. Well, maybe it's because we've seen... I, I don't think it would be right. I don't think anyone else would be right in this particular world, in this particular film, in that particular portrayal of Venus. She's perfect. Yeah. Which is exact is what Venus is. It's perfect. And it's, it's incredible. It's it's, inc- it's absolutely incredible you to fall see. In lo- I fall in love with her every time I watch this movie. I fall in love with Venus. Uh, you Yeah, you, you go with Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. When you see his face and he is... It's, he all decorum goes out the window. Yes, because Vulcan comes he's over. Gonna and he's like, like, "I'm gonna go fuck your wife." He's now. like, "Hi, Baron <laughs> Munchausen, over here. My name's Vulcan. I'm super badass. You just saw that I have like the most powerful nuclear weapon of all time in my arsenal, and all I do is make weapons and kill people. And that's my wife you're looking at. Want more tea?" Baron Munchausen's like, "No, I'm, no, I'm gonna go your, dance with I your wife." wife. Yeah. What about that though? Like how I'm just gonna go do that because I don't fucking care if you kill me, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's 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 amazing. And then he's like I, I kinda like the dichotomy there, which is not the dichotomy, but the, the, the contrast between how Vulcan treats Venus and how Baron Munchausen treats mm-hmm. Venus. And Vulcan takes some coal and Gives crushes her... it and he's like, Look, it's a diamond. I made you a diamond and she's like, Oh no, thank you, a diamond and they throw it in a stack of diamonds. Yeah. And all Baron Munchausen does is pay her a compliment. This is the difference. Vulcan gives her something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the Bear Munchausen treats her like she's beautiful. Yeah. Damn, Carl. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Right? Way That's to go, man. Jesus. That's, um, there's a famous quote. I think it's, might be, <laughs> okay, this is going to sound bad, but it's either attributed to Casanova or Antonio Banderas. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> one I can of those see, two. I can see that being confusing. You understand my oh, confusion. Abso- absolutely. But I think it's one of those two people. I was very people. sexually confused the first time I saw him. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Like, you watch Once Upon a Time in Mexico and you're just like, you see him and you're like, I've never felt this way before about a man. And then he talks and you're like, nope, man, nope, I guess. Uh, yeah, there it is. 
Yeah, and then by the time the credits roll, the, the credits like clear your mind of him. You you have to watch a different movie after yeah. you watch an Antonio Banderas movie, or you just leave your wife. Yeah, right. And <laughs> <laughs> be like, I have to drink this man down. Right. Or you have to watch the SNL skits featuring, featuring uh, I can't remember the oh actor's name, but featuring the guy playing Antonio Banderas, just unbuttoning his shirt more and more and more, and just shutting the women up constantly to be sexy. That is a good palate cleanser. Yes. But no, the, the quote is... If you cannot make a woman feel beautiful, she will never go to bed with you. Yeah. And that's right, which is, that's so right, where Vulcan gives her something beautiful and Baron Munchausen makes her feel beautiful. Yeah. Or tells her that yeah. she's beautiful. Oh, it's an, it's amazing. And then she, like, gets all up in his business and I'm like, Carl, you're going to have to leave for, like, five minutes. <laughs> five to five seconds. Five to five seconds. <laughs> five to five Fuck. seconds. Just get out of here. Um. Yeah, she's great. And I kind of liked the fact that we see her as a villager. She is a villager. Yeah. All, everyone that we, we are run on the into hunt in for the world are there as the, either the actors portraying the character, like Bertold, right. or the. Yeah, I noticed yeah. the. You obviously noticed the players. Mm-hmm. The players show but up the as. The villagers are also there, too. I, yeah. only, I noticed Uma Thurman, but I didn't notice anyone. No, I, I noticed the guy who plays Vulcan, too, but he's only in there for like a it's like second. Like a hot second. Yeah. yeah. But I I, lo- I wrote down, I like that he that it, because it's a tale that's told. Yes, we find out that he's up on stage and he's telling. Right, but it's not like the it's not cheap and at all. I wrote so that. Oh my god, amazing. I wrote that exact thing. I wrote down. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Was it all a tale? And if it was, is this not it? Uh, if it was, the film is not cheapened at all. The happy lie is the happier ending mm-hmm. because we get a real world triumph. The movie does end with the citizens opening the gates and finding there is no enemy and reclaiming their lives. But I like, Amazing. I like that Baron Munchausen, he kind of freed them, right? Yes. But so he tells them this big fantasy story. Right, he tells them this wild adventure where islands are secretly fish that are monsters that eat you, and inside their stomachs are your old friends. <laughs> and you're, he tells them a story of a mad king on the moon and f- meeting a Greek goddess and dancing among fountains and all this stuff. But when he tells it to them, he weaves them into it. It's remember we talked about fantasy in the last episode, the episode before last, when yeah. we talked about Brazil. Yes, where when you go into a fantasy story when you escape you come back with tools and you come back with hope and you come back with new strength that's exactly what What the baron does when he tells the story because he tells them the story of them he's like this and you know you can just see him telling the story where he's like and i and the the shell opened and there in her splendor venus and he looks down and he a hand or points a sword or cat Winks or throws a flower to, to the that, Uma Thurman to yeah. Uma Thurman's vi- you know poor village girl and she becomes Venus and she sees that she sees Venus in herself mm-hmm. and now she's a little more than she was a second ago because of a story that an old man is telling on a stage and he weaves them all into it and so at the end when reason points all its guns at them and says if anyone disobeys my order I will shoot you they can all just they all just smile and walk yep. past the guns they sure do. Reality is powerless at that point. Yeah, in the face in the face of fantasy, reality is powerless. It's so such an amazing movie, such an amazing movie and idea. Mm-hmm. Before we leave Vulcan and Venus, 
<laughs> and the most metaphorical hammering ever. Uh, yes. <laughs> Come on. Like, tang, tang. Again, tang, like, tang. it's PG, but Vulcan grabs Venus and some hammers just start going. And yep. you're like, the, hmm. the forges of the, the Earth are relit. This scene is being, um, there's, they're ha- hammering? Yes. They're being hammered? Hammered. Hammer. It is now hammer, hammer time. Hammer time. It's hammer <laughs> It is time. literally hammer time. <laughs> Oh, and that was a weird little beat right there before they kissed. Too, oh, it was a little like, like is she uh, okay? Well, it, well, it was the beat before that actually, where okay, she's dancing among like the, the fountains mm-hmm. and she's kissing Baron Munchausen, and the uh, Sally goes like, he's you know, he's making he's, out with your he's wife. He's making out with your wife, and he goes in there and he's like, you fucking bastard! And I'm gonna throw you and your kid and yep. your little dog too, and he throws them all into the calls her a whore, calls her a strumpet, trumpet, yeah. you know, and turns around. And she's like, I'm sorry, did I excite you? And you're like, is this a cockroach thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Vulcan's like, oh, oh, yeah. Tell me how his lips tasted. And then like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like goes for the kiss. And you're like, mm. but again, 11 year olds are not picking nope, that up. All not the, at all. All the weird all people. Dirty old men are like, yeah. Oh yeah, dirty old guys who've who've been who've you know spent like 150 to 300 did hours on Pornhub. Did you save some of his semen for me? Exactly, like. <laughs> e- fucking exactly. We're like, oh my god, it's like that video that I watched 700 times last <laughs> <Right>. year, <laughs> or whatever. And the kids are like, come on, get past come the on, kissing. Past what it. happened to the kid? Right. And then there, the kid is falling through the sky into an upside down ocean. Yes. But we're all still back there we're being back like, there, oh like, my God, she's she telling snowballed him. Like, him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's get serious. Yes. <laughs> but I, but I, before we get to the most amazing upside down ocean thing I've ever seen, we have to talk about what is perhaps the most disturbing thing in this entire film, which is when Vulcan shows... Sally, the little girl, the, the bomb. atomic bomb, yeah, and explains what the bomb does. Because the v- Adventures of Baron Munchausen, there's cannons and yep. swords, so this is a weapon of the future, and I think it's important that this is the only anachronism that we see in this movie, yep. other well, than that dude's Letterman jacket or yeah. whatever the fuck. But um, it's yeah, they're constructing it. You know, like he says, well, I'll build new weapons, weapon, newest weapon of war. I'll build weapons for anyone who has the money to pay for them or whatever, and. It's it's an he it's a transcontinental radar directed ballistic nuclear missile and the little girl looks at it and she goes what does it do and he says it kills the enemy and she goes all of the enemy and he goes all of them and all their wives and their children and their chickens and their cats and their dogs and their bugs and he's yep. like you all as, of them as he says it you realize that's what atomic bombs do yep sure do. And then, then that's horrifying enough. But then he goes on to say, and it says, and all you you can do it from a thousand miles away. You don't even have to see them. You just push a button. Yeah. And they, I, the, oh. I think his exact wording, I didn't, I didn't write it down, but his exact wording is, and you don't even have to watch. You them don't even die, have to watch them die. Yes. Which is so we've we've talked about drones on this show more mm-hmm. than I ever thought we would. Oh yeah. <laughs> but how fucked up is that? 1988 yeah. and Terry Gilliam is recognizing and showing us the horror of the the horror of the new ease of war, which yeah. is like let's let's just play a and brain game really quick. If we go ahead. So after that is said in the push of the button, you don't even have to look at them. And then Bertold says something equally interesting. He's like, well, where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in that? Yeah. 
which is also upsetting. Right? Well, it, for me, it makes sense because when you watch when you watch all the battles, when mm-hmm. you watch the wars that we're watching, um, they're they're not. We are not watching the true horror of war. Right. We're watching an old man's adventure story of war where you're dropping ships, ships on people. And you use a mouse to scare the elephants. Yeah. This is not true war. What Vulcan is showing us in the middle of this fun fantasy story is true war. Mm-hmm. The true horror and hell of war. And these fantasy characters who are on a grand adventure are kind of horrified by that. But they're like, well, where's the swashbuckling good time yes. of... Where's the fun in that? Of I mean, and, you know, like, we don't see... Quentin Tarantino beheadings. Right. When Baron Munchausen chops off heads, it's funny. It's like paper mache. Like it's, because this yeah. is a this is a fantasy of war. Mm-hmm. What Terry Gilliam shows us with his weird was not weird. I I will not cheapen this moment when he shows us the atomic bomb. He's like, oh by the way, all you people who are watching this movie, I want you to just keep in mind that fighting and combat looks fun on screen. But it's fucked up that if it was this movie, he's an American. So mm-hmm. if America is like, if this is tr- true, this is a not just a brain experiment. It's true, and especially in our current administration, not to get political. But you could just sit there in your chair and you could say, just if you wanted to, you eliminate s- them. If you were like, I don't like Argentina. I just never liked that country. Make a phone call. Hang up your phone. Argentina no longer exists. All of the people in Argentina are dead. And their dogs. And their their cats. And their chickens. And their wives. And their dreams. And all the favorite jokes that they used to tell. And their favorite dishes. Mm -hmm. Gone. Completely gone. And this is a little... I told this to Bird the other day. I think we talked about it even in Brazil. About North Korea. Mm -hmm. About why North Korea hates us. And how most people don't know the numbers. Which is... People are like, oh, that crazy dictator. But in in the Korean War, we killed... I think it's between between 10 and 20% of their entire population. We killed up to a fifth of their country Jesus in war. And to give you an idea of how easy war is now, most people don't even know that we had a war with Korea. Right. Isn't that fucking scary? Go ask some people. Be like, so, uh, you know, like, what was the war when we fought North Korea? And they're like, well, that hasn't happened yet, but they're making nukes, so no, we got to be we, ready for them. They're making, the, it was the Korean, the Korean war. war. They're making nukes because him. we killed a fifth of their country. Mm-hmm. Like that. Oh my God. War is too easy, Carl. Mm-hmm. War is too easy. If we... It's, it's even... It's so easy now. It's, so, it's, it's a push of a button. It's the drone thing we were talking about last week. It's, ah. Yeah, it's detachment and it's space. Yep. Do, and I, don't, I don't know if I brought this up, but do you think that war would be as prevalent if all we had to fight it with were axes? Well, we did that before. We did do that before, yeah. but now... Can you imagine oh, now? Oh, now? Oh, fuck no. No one go to war now. Right. Now, back in the They'd day. Like, Wait, you have to pick up an axe, but back in the day, that's how wars were fought. Because the only thing well, that's changed is technology and the ease of killing another right, human and you, being. You just woke up and like hoped that parasites didn't kill you right. that day or that you didn't get a cold it's and like, die. It was all axes and arrows and shit until gunpowder was invented, and then it was like a whole other level of shit. Right. It's like we've always killed each other. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. The, we the, do it with The rocks. means has been, it's become easier and easier and easier over the the centuries because of advances in technology right where now it literally is a push of a button but i think if if now for some reason we wake up tomorrow and there's reset no button, reset right. button on all of that and we had to pick up an axe to go fight our enemy i don't think there'd be a very small percentage of people that would even consider that to be like fuck no are you kidding me and i like to believe that a big part of it would be that it takes a different level of 
of hatred and animosity to kill someone that close with your hands yeah. essentially with a tool with because an when you if you're a mile away and you pull a trigger and somebody falls on a little screen that you're looking at or if you are sitting in an air-conditioned office and you click your mouse and you still are aware vanishes, you're aware as a human being that you just ended someone else's there's life there's a difference between that and feeling the bone break oh and having God, the yeah. blood on your own skin yeah i yeah. think i think I was going to say, I think war should be made progressive in a, in a thinking society. War it should, should be, be more made difficult, progressively more difficult until it's impossible. Mm-hmm. God, I'm so sick of war. Stop it. Stop it. Or Stop we're all it. going to die. Listen to Sally. Jesus Christ. I like our little hippy dippy. I know. I like we go a little podcast. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's our goddamn soapbox. We do what we want. With it, it is. And you can't, you know, it's weird. You can't. It's hard to watch a movie like this that came out in 1988 yeah. that has a moment in it like the, the, like atom, the bomb atom bomb and not have that discussion. Especially in, in the world where it's still relevant. Like, I, it's weird because a lot of films from this time period, especially the, there aren't really many utopian films. A lot of them are like 1984 films. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people seem to predict that things would be better. Like, no, we're, we're going to get rid of all this nuclear escalation because people live in terror all the time. This right. is no way to live. Fast forward. Like, I, I interviewed my grandma once about what it was like to live through the 60s in the Cold War for a school assignment. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you, don't, you would never understand the fear. Like, the fear and the terror. You, could, you would step outside on your porch and not know whether today would be the day that the Russians would drop a bomb and we would all be dead. I used to, she talks about how she used to look at my dad and his brother, my, my uncle, and she'd be like, I would just sit and look at them and then tell them to go outside and play and just cry because any day. That could be the day. There could, that could be the day. And then I was thinking about it recently because I was, I talked to her on the phone every Sunday. I was thinking about it recently and I was like, since 9-11 in a weird way, that's how we've all been living for like two decades almost, mm-hmm. which is any day could be the day the terrorists come and yep. like who knows. Who knows when another school shooting will happen or like this was fucked up. I saw two movies yesterday and when we sat down in our chairs, the first thing I did. I hope there's not a gunman that comes in. Yeah. Every time I go to every time I go to a movie since the the dark the dark night shooting. Since the dark night shooting. I'm always like wouldn't mm, what there's someone, that little I don't dwell if, on it, but I have that thought. Yeah, I have that thought what too. If what if someone a gunman here has a gun? It, yeah. Dude, that's so we it's it's not the fear of the bomb wiping us all out. It's a more personal fear of our fellow man and it's, that's yeah. the world we live in now yeah. and that's scary and that's why fantasy is important yep, that's I why agree. Baron Munchausen The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is important this is an excellent film I'm so fucking glad excellent. that you, you picked this movie it's um, no cemetery man but you know. No, there's. I mean, honestly, I think we know what the best movie of the year is going to be after watching Cemetery Man. <laughs> I can't wait for you to hear that episode. I can't dude. wait either. There's a, there's literally 50 seconds where we do nothing but laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like almost a minute of oh time. I tracked it because the waveform gets really small because we're laughing really high pitched. It's like this long on the screen. It's Holy absurd shit. how long we laugh. Um, I think it's interesting that everyone is kind of. A reverse the 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 four his four like servant people he calls them servants right the fast one is slow not only physically mm-hmm. he's also f- really forgetful too yes so he's slow like physically and mentally the big doltish brute guy has become 
delicate and meek. Like when he's trying to stop Vulcan from rather than just grabbing Vulcan, he's like, I really don't think you should. What if you just hold on? And that's what he's happy with. And he he found himself. He wants to be dainty, not lugging heavy things around. They call me midget here. And I find that to be splendid. I think. Yeah, he he likes it. That's he's like redefined himself in his life. Now. Oh, it's in, it's bliss is what he says. It's bliss. Now, in, call me midget down here. And, and then Bertolt says he's gone funny. In 1988, I see what Gilliam's doing. In a weird way, I can see how that could create a bit of a, a complex reading in mm-hmm. 2018. I could see how that might be read problematically. But I yeah. think the point that Gilliam was getting at was that as these people have aged, they've forgotten who they truly are. Right. It's not a choice. It's that they've aged away from their yeah, true correct. selves. Yeah. The, in today, in 2018, that could have a different read to the, yeah, it. Yeah. You but could, I don't you think could read that as like anti-trans. That they've or lost who they are. Right. 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 That's the point. He's not. He, this is. It's clearly given, especially given like how how he's telling stories and his like inclusiveness mm-hmm. and he's that's there's nothing troubling about his intentions there no. it's just us it's like kids watching a movie or adults yeah. watching a movie it's us our jaded the man that can the man so. that can see f- uh, a, a thousand miles can is is blind the, the one with the amazing ears can't deaf, hear like right. yeah like that's it's all reverse the brute is the dainty in the in the yeah and i like that when we have the complete set when they are all back together that is when we get our nursing home mm-hmm. stand in where the death is dealing the cards yeah, because it's, 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 it's a lot of things, but I think it's comfort. It's, there's a comfort in groups yes. thing. Well, that's why the Baron sits down and starts playing cards and Sally, the, the child is the one that's like, what the fuck are you doing? There's a right. city in danger of everything, everything. Everything's fine. And there's a comfort in that, right? right. The group well, is back together. The group is back together. And I talked to my brother about this, which is, you, you ever notice some some friends, some of your friends have stuff in the future, stuff yes. they want to do, goals, dreams, and they're moving forward. But then you meet other of your buddies from high school and all they do is talk about high school. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, do you remember the big game where I, yeah. you know, you scored your touchdown or whatever the fuck? Or, oh, you remember prom when we got so? And I'm like... Mm-hmm. I'm only I'm only 28. I graduated when I was 18, so that was 10 years ago. But I'm even at 10 years, I'm like, why are you still talking about this? Right. Like, what are you doing now? Are you doing anything now? Well, I'm working. You know, I work a lot. That's awesome. That's no fucking way to live. Yeah. What is <laughs> wrong with you? But like, that's what we see happen. Yeah. When when the gang all gets back together, they first thing like, ah, oh, the good old times back when we were alive. We're dead now, and they all sit at their table. And they start playing cards and you get the sense that they would just reminisce about like our yep. grand adventures until they die. And you're like, it is, ex- that is a, that is a nursing home. Terry Gilliam is showing us an old, old, old people dying in a convalescent home yeah. and it's haunting. Mm-hmm. It's so fucked up to watch because, Ugh. especially because you've seen Baron Munchau, you've, because when Sally wanted to know how the story ended. His eyes lit up again, mm-hmm. and you're, you see this old man reclaiming, and it gives you such hope because you, the the imagination trilogy. Yeah, you know, like I'm dissatisfied. I don't want to just die as an old person. No, and he goes on an adventure. Yes, and then and we brings all of his friends with him. Right, he brings his friends with him. He betters. Not only does he, I was going to say, he like betters their lives. He betters an entire his society. He essentially metaphorically saves humanity by yes. the end of this movie. But in that one moment, you see what could happen instead. If 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 as you age you just settle you sit around your card the town table gets and you destroyed die. by the Turks and you die slowly with your friends you gotta you you have to engage or we're all dead yeah <laughs> we're all dead like 
Oh my god, this movie works on so many levels. Well, death is constantly pursuing them through the entire movie. Yeah. Like I, in a very real way, like the the marionette of of death, the the, the, actual the physical big, like, muppet. Yeah, which I find fascinating. I love the marionette work in a lot of Gilliam's movies. Where else did we see death? Oh, Cemetery Man. Cemetery we Man. We see death in Cemetery yeah. Man. Man, there's a through line through your movies. I know, dude. dude it's weird. Paperwork and death. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did turn 40 That's, this year. Yeah, so, yeah, very telling that your birthday month this year is and paper. I turned 41. As this comes out, yeah, I'm probably 41 now. So when this comes out, you'll be 41. Are you in the second week? Your birthday, second week, or third it's week? It's July 18th, so it'll be this, like... This might come out like on your birthday for all we know. Fuck me. So there you go. Paperwork and death. The Happy Carl birthday. Hartley story. That's what we'll put on your tombstone. Oh, we'll me. just put... A, we'll, it'll be... Your tombstone will be a filing cabinet, cabinet drawer open, and it'll be all files. But you have to you have to send in a form to get to my grave right you have to like file the appropriate paperwork right and then there's more files it'll dispense a flower but the flower will have a reference number attached to it and you'll have to put it in the corresponding vase but that vase won't exist because you didn't fill out the right paperwork paperwork for the vase (laughs) and on on that file when you ultimately do get there after 26 hours of being at your grave site um, you're, you know, a little message will come across the screen and it will say paperwork and death, Carl Hartley story, <laughs> yeah. and then the date of your birth and death, but it'll be wrong. But it'll be wrong, right. <laughs> Actually, it won't even be dead. I'm still alive. I'm like, the fuck is going on? Here? Yeah, it was a clerical error. Clerical error. They buried somebody else there who oh, right. wasn't, wasn't dead yet. Dead yet. <laughs> We're going to pull a full Brazil. <laughs> it was a fly. A fly got in the death certificate. Oh my God. It's Carl Hatley. Carl Hatley. Hatley, oh, Carl Hatley died. Which is how uh, some British act, it's Carl Hatley, or Scottish. Yeah, this, or I was going to say Australian. Yeah. That was almost like, almost. Uh, that was almost, hey, look over there, uh, it's Carl Hatley. Hatley. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I don't think I've really got anything else I, for this movie. I, I was just, Either. I just loved, like, there's... They, I, I wrote down because at the end when he returns, he does, he saves the city. The final battle is a riot. It's so fun. I, I love every moment of that final battle. Is something cool and fun. Like when you have Bertle chasing the bullet, the way that shot is really cool. That's and like, amazing. He goes to grab the bullet it's and it burns hot. his hands, so he has to grab a piece of armor to deflect it, and it. Ricochets shoots off of eighteen things and shoots the guy who shot, shot him. Like just so much fun. The mouse scaring the, the mouse elephant, scaring the elephant, spinning the boats around, like shooting the blade of the executioner's axe mm-hmm. the funny beheadings that's all it's all yeah. awesome yep it's all awesome and so fun there was bits where i was laughing and cl- you want to just laugh and clap because it's like watching a fairy tale play it out. is and then they come back and there's a big parade and la 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 and then the elected official picks up a rifle and shoots baron munchausen and he dies and he dies i think it's interesting and then we get this amazing moment where he's literally fucking dead he's dead on the ground and we're like wow this is terrible and then we hear and that was one of the many times that i died and we're back that's one of the many times that i died (laughs) holy shit right right and then we see baron munchausen again the real real life true baron munchausen and he is old you forget how old he was at the beginning because of this he's movie. gotten so young through his adventures. But when you see how old he is in real life, you are like, "Oh Jesus, he's he looks like he's like ninety mm-hmm. years old. He's ready to go." 
but he's up there and he's telling his story and seeing the the players all huddled on the side of the stage listening and watching the audience wrapped because mm-hmm. in in his story what happens is reason and logic kill baron munchausen and that breaks the audience's heart they're crying they're holding each other they're holding each other because and the man is standing right in front of them right but I think it's important to remember that when Baron Munchausen tells them the story, he, he puts a warning at the end, which is if you let if you let it, reason and logic will kill your hope and kill your fantasy. Yes. And when we're back in the real world and fucking elected official Dick Hole, who by the way, a great actor. It's Jonathan love Price. Him. It's the Jonathan Price is the guy from Brazil. <laughs> yep. But even a good guy, bad guy, I or love Pierce. him. I fucking love him. Jonathan Pizzers. Jonathan Pearls. Jonathan Pierce and Carl Hartley. Carl Hartley. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> measuring flicks, I've been Jonathan Pierce and Jonathan Carl Hartley. <laughs> but um, when he comes in, he's like, arrest that man. The crowd's like, fuck you. No, they're totally done with it. They're like, fuck your shit. They're like, no. Literally go fuck And you know shit. what? That's, that's it. Baron Munchausen's like, you know what? Open the gates. Let's go and talk to the enemy. Let's have a discourse. And the elected official's like, um... <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> Shouldn't open those gates. Definitely not. Lines up his guys. Anybody Shoot who tries to open the these yep. gates. And that's where we get that moment, man, where they're all standing there, this huge throng and a bunch of soldiers aiming their guns. So 1988, this yep. is not too long after... I can't remember the name of the school, but where this exact same thing happened. A bunch of hippies doing a sit-in protest and soldiers oh, came. I can't yeah. remember the name of the fucking school. But this happened. This exact scenario happened, except with like college students. I almost had it for a second. But uh, they shot a bunch of college students. And you're, that's what I was expecting here, where I'm like, shit, Gilliam showed us the atomic bomb, and now he's going to shoot He's going to show us soldiers shooting innocent people. But what we get instead is basically they're like, no, because we've seen what happens when we let just a, someone with papers in his hand tell us what's true and what's not true. Let's go see for ourselves. And they walk past the guns, and none of the guns go off, and they open the gates, and there's no enemy. I love it. God damn, Carl. That, what a fucking movie, man. What a yeah. fucking yeah. movie. Yeah. I'm so, 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 so glad that you enjoyed this so much. <sighs> this one has been one of my favorite movies for a very, very long time. Yeah. God, it's amazing. There are some some other movies by him that we should look at in the future, um, dealing with the child actor thing, just to put it... Uh, just a, a thought in your in your head for later. Yeah. What other? Because I've got. I so, want to watch all. I'm, I haven't seen Time Bandits. I want to watch that. Right. But if I want, I've seen Fear and Loathing. I've seen Twelve Monkeys. But what's some other Gilliam I okay. should look at? Go. Well, um, so the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus is actually quite good. Okay. Brothers Grimm is an interesting one to watch because it is the um, same thing that happened to uh, with Brazil, uh-huh. where the o- but the only version that we have is the. Uh, the, the studio the love conquers all. There is no Gilliam cut for it, but it's a really interesting look at oh, has a studio. He said that basically. Yeah, like, he's like he fucking hates Brothers Grimm. He's like, it's not my movie. It's not what I. Sh- it's what he shot, but it's not my cut. Oh, vision. there's so many things left out of it. It's it's chopped in a weird order. So mm. that. Um, but um, recently, the one of the more difficult movies that that it, to watch, period, ever, and it's a Gilliam movie. It's called Tideland. One word. Tideland. Yep. Okay. It's uh, it's about a girl who uh, essentially ends up having to live by herself because her father dies, and it deals with some really interesting and hard to deal with things about 
children, but also the children are stronger than sort of what you're, what you're talking about right. earlier is like the, the child is not aware of the danger. They just want to climb the tree. Gotcha. That movie Tideland is, that is what this movie is, but it's, it doesn't give you any help with it. It's like, this is a child in a very difficult set of circumstances and you're going to have to deal with seeing this child in danger and dealing with it and finding a way to survive. It is fucking haunting and one of the most difficult movies to watch. Is it PG? Because of, no, it Super is R. not PG. Hard R? It's not like a hard R. I mean, it's got a, it literally has like a 12 year old girl as your, as your protagonist. Or- when there's only like four people in the movie. Oh, okay. So it's, um, that to me is like from a filmmaking and a story, storytelling standpoint and the, from an actor's standpoint too. And like what this young actor is doing and what, like she is not a child. Like she's one of those weird cases where they trans, they're this, like they're like older than their years or something. They're, they're, yeah. they're pulling from, like, it's like, where are you getting this? There's a few this examples, strength yeah. from and this, like, how are you getting to that place? Like right. that's, mind-blowing but so tideland for sure we should probably do it on the show at some point because it's super killer it's and deserves super, a look. just deserves a look but most people don't like it or can't make it all the way through the film really yeah it's one of those so i watched a movie with bird last year which speaking of like child actors in movies that deal with children in a way that makes a lot of adult people who watch it uncomfortable mm-hmm. there's a movie called moonrise kingdom have yeah you, have you seen it yeah I've, i have not seen but have heard of moonrise kingdom it's directed by is that wes anderson yes it's, it is okay it is wes anderson. yeah moonrise okay. i always want to say wes craven right yeah <laughs> but i'm like it's a movie where children are slaughtered <laughs> right. wholesale for two hours no it's a it's a wes anderson film it's called moonrise kingdom and it's basically about like and like an, a quirky, plucky, adventurous young girl and a young boy who wants to be a scout, but is they're both kind of like outcasts sure. kind of shit. And it's their love story. And what makes the movie, we should probably watch that one. If Even if not for the show, we should watch that together. Okay. But watching that movie, there's, you watch two pre-adolescents, but you watch like two 12-year-olds or 13-year-olds fall in love. Mm-hmm. And... It is so unashamed of young love that it's scary to watch. Right. Where it's like, it's like watching it, like Bird felt the same way. I felt this way. Uh, Some of my other film loving friends, the guy who pointed it out to me in the first place was like, you're going to feel weird watching it. Right. Just because, you know, like here I am, I I was 26 when I saw it. So I'm sitting here, I'm 26 and seeing two like 13 year olds discovering each other and figuring out love and watching two 13 year olds share their first kiss. And you're like, I don't know why I don't feel right. You've, you definitely feel weird about it, but the, but it's the movie's beautiful. The right. movie's amazing. It's, it's, it's challenging. And it, part of what makes it challenging is asking yourself why it's challenging because mm-hmm. it does, it's not at all lascivious or untoward. Right, right, right. it's, it's presented perfectly purely and unashamed, right? But you feel weird watching it. And I think that's, intentional it's it's the movie's asking you like why does this, why why is this why does this bother you because there's nothing at all objectionable in it it's very strange wow but and and it's also a genius wes anderson movie so <sighs> i have drank his kool-aid oh boy have you oh i yeah, just me too. i, I love, love wes, wes anderson. Anderson. i even like the life aquatic it's like <laughs> who doesn't love the life aquatic 
Season two, we might have a Wes Anderson. Mug. I think I'm fine with that. All right, look, I got nothing else. Uh, I'm so let's good. do a titch of housekeeping titch, super titch. fast. We'll just get it out of the, way. Get out of the way. Look, if you disagree with us or have awesome other troubling movies that you want us to watch or just have something to say or something you want us to say in a funny voice on the show, I don't fucking care. Kyle Hartley. <laughs> Kyle Hartley. We could say that in a variety of accents, but all you have to do is request it. Anyway, if you have anything you want to say to us or write to us, write to us at measuringflickspodcast at gmail.com. You can hit me up. Oh, God, I spent half an hour on Twitter this morning. I kind of regret it, but I kind of liked it, too. You can find me on Twitter at Max J. Peterson. Um, We probably point to the fact that we're a listener-supported podcast. We really are. Um, If you like what we do, you like the movies we're talking about, we do other cool things over on patreon.com slash maxpeterson. Bonus episodes, shout outs on the show, produce an episode like at the higher levels, man. You can pick pick movies pick, for us pick to one. watch. We might Skype you in. Foo, fucking A. Fuck? I've done it before on podcasts. I have the technology. You're that, um, folks. And speaking of patrons and patronage and people who make this shit possible, John Shibe, Casey Shibe, Casey Shibe, John Shibe, thank you fucking guys so much. Um, this movie that we watched today, guys, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, I think you should give it a spin. I don't know if it's necessarily Casey's kind of thing, but I think John could dig something out of there. Um, then, of course, we, we have... It's Connor Sweeney. Connor Sweeney. He's got a right huge cock, that one. <laughs> is that true? I've never ah, heard that. It is. I've never heard ever It's that. like... That, there's the myths of the Sweeney cock that I've always I grew up listening to him. Like there's the there's like these childhood myths that you grow up hearing. What it's you hear of this mythical being named Connor. He's got a cock the size of a tree. It's huge. Not a little tree, a big fucking tree. It's like a bitch. Not even a bitch. It's like it's like a fucking redwood. It's like an Oregon. It's like a, a redwood from Oregon. It's like it's about to stick around his house. I heard. <laughs> I've heard he loses consciousness when he fires a fucking erection. So much blood rushing to his brain, rushing up to his head. He flat falls through the floor. <laughs> he, I mean, well, it's weird because there's more blood in his cock than there is in his entire body. No one knows where it comes from. Nobody knows how he doesn't die. There is some debate about whether or not there's an interdimensional portal in his balls where the blood comes <laughs> in through from another dimension where there's oceans, there's oceans of Connor Sweeney's cock blood. Anyway, when it fills, when he becomes fully turgid, it's actually visible from space. <laughs> now, it's impossible for him to keep his balance, even laying on his back. So oftentimes when he gets a full erection, he topples over like a mighty redwood in the organ. And whether, when that tree falls, you best believe me, Carol, that people hear it. Whether they're there or not, people fucking hear it. So anyway, it falls down, it crashes. You can often find over where he lives in that side of town. You can find little ditches and rats <laughs> where his cock's hammered. Giant indentations of the people's lawns. Small dogs have been killed. It's really quite a tragedy at the end of the day. Anyway, what we're really trying to say is we've always admired Connor Sweeney and his contributions to the show. And we hope that if we could, if we do have to die, as we all do at the end of the day, that it can be underneath the mighty girth and weight of Connor Sweeney's massive, un- unrealistic, and unlikely penis. <laughs> so, so thank you, Connor. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Carl, that's a really good Scottish accent. Thank you. Holy it took me a shit. second to, to find the right. I had but... to stop doing it. I'm like, I just sound like a wee asshole now. <laughs> 
I, once I get in the groove, I'm yeah. there. But uh, where can people find you, sir? Oh, they can find me uh, on Facebook, Carl Hartley, uh, K-A-R-L-H-A-R-T-L-E-Y, or the Instas, uh, that's K-R-A-Z-Y-K-A-R-L-0-0-6. That's crazy, pretty much all. Crazy Carl, crazy Carl, Carl 006. 006. I forgot to mention, I'm also on Instagram at Actual Max P. And that's all we've got for you that's this it. time. What are we watching next week? Let's give them a spoiler. Oh my gosh. Next week we are it's watching... It's a weird movie, right? It's another one of mine. It's Blood and Concrete, It's Blood and Concrete with the... Billy Zane. Oh my God! As our really? Lead character. We're yes. gonna watch a Billy Zane yeah, movie on this fucking, podcast. This movie. Oh, this yeah. movie is a movie that one of my good friends from Big Rapids lent me his VHS cassette tape of, and it took me six months to watch it. Every time we get together, like, so did you watch Blood and Concrete? Yeah, I was like, haven't gotten to it yet. Or I'd start watching, get ten minutes in, and be like, I can't watch this movie. This is fucking weird. <laughs> but so like, so it's one of those movies where it's yes. like, I, it's a it's a tribute to my good friend Mike Muma. Mm. Uh, that we're um, yes, Mike. Not only have I watched Blood and Concrete, uh, but we are going to be covering it on Measuring Flicks. So. Dude, I'm so excited. And anything that sounds where you're like, I can't make it through this. This is too weird. I'm like, let's watch that a couple times. Yeah, can we do that? All right. So for the outro, there's a line that I I wrote down a quote, and I avoided talking about it in the show so that I could leave you with it as a thinker. Um, at one point, uh, Mr. Paperwork says. We can't start escaping at a time like this. What would future generations think of us? We talked about, during the Brazil episode, the only people who unveil against escape are jailers. Mm -hmm. And look around at the world around you and the situation that we're all in. What will future generations think of us if we don't escape? (laughs) 